Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. We begin with breaking news tonight. A verdict in the CDTA bus assault trial. Two former UAlbany students found not guilty in this reported racial incident. Ariella Agudio and Aisha Burwell were cleared of those top assault charges. They were, however, found guilty of filing a false report. News and ABC's Anya Tucker has been dedicated to the case and has live coverage now. Anya. Well, this happened right around the 5 o'clock hour. It really took some of us by surprise. We heard there was going to be a verdict. We ran upstairs, and then we sat in and listened. And as you mentioned, those top charges, the assault charges, they were both found not guilty. Um, but they were found guilty of two other misdemeanors, falsely reporting an incident. One of those for those 911 calls that were made by Burwell and Agudio that you've probably heard in some of our stories, as well as causing public alarm through social media for those tweets that were sent out by both of the young women, resulting in a fury of anger and demands for justice. Now, if you recall, their friend Alexis Briggs took a plea deal last year. She was the third former UAlbany student who had been on that bus. But Burwell and Agudio had refused that deal. Now, as you can imagine, it has been a long road for all of these young women. They are no longer attending UAlbany. Agudio's attorney, just outside the courthouse just a few moments ago, put it all like this. That the jury found them not guilty on really most of the charges. And if you think about the, all of the venom that has been spewed against Ms. Agudio and Ms. Burwell by, among others, the district attorney's office, and the, the, the thought of coming in and getting indictments against these young women on multiple counts, and after all of that, uh, to end up with not guilty verdicts on really the overwhelming majority of the charges. Um, I'm very grateful for. 
Now, of course, you'll hear more from both attorneys later on tonight on News 10 ABC. Again, just to recap for you, both Ariel Agudio and Aisha Burwell found not guilty on charges of assault in the third degree, but both convicted of two counts of falsely reporting an incident. Inside the Albany County Courthouse, Anya Tucker, News 10 ABC. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Monday, September 25th, 2017. So I have been told. <clears throat> Before we get started, I will have uh, a word to say. Um, before we conclude, I'll put it that way. I'll have a word to say on all of the uh, hoopla over Donald Trump's president, Donald Trump's commentary over the past weekend. I think we did discuss some of that at the compensatory call-in um, this past weekend, this past Saturday. I had not seen the actual video footage at the time. Uh, he made his commentary, I believe, Friday. The compensatory call-in was Saturday. I read about what he said, the SOB remark. I read about that in the New York Times, but what they wrote did not do the video justice. Uh, I didn't get to see the video until yesterday. Wow. <laughs> Just wow. And then all of the, the subsequent uh, hoopla around it. I, I, I can say that uh, I was more... <laughs> that that moment provided more amusement for me, more pleasure for me than uh, any time during the Obama administration. Uh, that is uh, a truthful statement. Uh, I was chanting four more years, four more years, and it took me a while to realize he hasn't even finished uh, one year uh, in the White House. But yeah, I will have more to say uh, on that. And and the football aspect specifically, I'll have a, a few words to say on that before we wrap things up. Uh, the audio segment that you heard was about the University of Albany incident of white supremacy racism. We've talked about this case a few times. Uh, this all started way back in 2016. Uh, folks have a good memory. I think we were talking about this incident on the compensatory call-in. I think I could have went back and found the audio from when this incident first happened and got some of our initial uh, responses uh, to this situation and, you know, what we thought uh, was going to happen. That might even be some, because this all happened in January, this started in January of 2016, so probably the uh, first Saturday in February 2016 was probably when we first mentioned uh, this case. And I said, this is something you should, we should follow, you know, to just see what happens. And uh, why well, just the, the quick recap, I guess, being uh, these three black female scholars, they were on a bus, University of Albany uh, students, University of Albany in upstate New York. They were on a bus. Uh, it was a late weekend, nighttime. Uh, they were on a bus and there were lots of other rowdy, intoxicated whites on the bus. And uh, it's reported that the some of these intoxicated white women were uh, singing and being annoying. Uh, they allegedly called 
uh, some of these young black ladies uh, ratchet uh, and other comments. Uh, things escalated. It was a huge uh, melee on the bus. They have uh, video footage uh, of some of this. And uh, the three young black female scholars, uh, they contacted the police. Uh, I think importantly, they were the only ones to dial 911 uh, to report that they were assaulted on the bus. Uh, none of the other white passengers, unless I've been misinformed, uh, none of them called the police uh, to report that, you know, some Negro hooligans had abused them on the bus. Anyway, uh, this was initially reported back, like I said, at the beginning of 2016, which was in the middle of the presidential election. Hillary Clinton commented uh, about this at the time. Uh, lots of attention on the case initially and outrage. And then about a few weeks or so later in February, uh, the whole narrative was changed. It was, wait a minute, uh, these young ladies, they were the aggressors. Uh, they beat up the white passengers on the bus uh, and then they lied about this whole incident and tried to play the race card and say that they were racially abused. And that's not true. Uh, and they're going to be charged with filing a false report, a uh, complete switch in the narrative uh, and lots of reports uh, blasting them as liars and mentioning the, the story or the fable, uh, the boy who cried wolf and lots of this uh, throughout the media. Uh, we continue to pay attention to this case. It was a great documentary, <clears throat> Indefensible. It's linked in the description uh, for the program. We had one of the filmmakers uh, as a guest on our program at the end of 2016, and they gave a lot of additional uh, information and just really providing details uh, about how the editing of the bus video footage, uh, how there was just lots and lots of footage, but they only edited it so you could see a short portion to make it appear as though the black females were the aggressors. And they also had other great information just about how some of the images when their court cases, because again, the black females, they were the only ones who were charged uh, with any wrongdoing in this case. But when they were in court making their appearances, they would take photographs and then crop them to make it seem that they were in handcuffs when in fact they were not. Great effort uh, in the film in pointing this out. And some of the folks in the film, they recommended that uh, that's one of the things that, you know, people could do uh, to help with this case to continue to talk about it, continue to inform people about it, follow up with some of the advocates uh, who worked hard uh, on behalf of these young ladies. One of them uh, being one of our former guests, Dr. Amani Shaket Ani. Uh, she former professor at the University of Albany in New York, uh, and she was one of the folks that these victims confided in uh, about the situation. Uh, she advocated, she wrote articles, did interviews, she spoke with us uh, about the situation and within the greater context of racism, white supremacy, which is what a lot of her own scholarship focuses on. She was with us in the winter uh, of this year, 2017, and we told her that we would definitely want to have her back on the program to follow up uh, with uh, everything that's transpired because at the time that we spoke, uh, two of the three uh, young ladies in this case, they had uh, cases pending. They did not take the uh, plea deal. Uh, Ariel Agudio and Asia uh, Burwell, they did not take the plea deal. And you heard the results uh, in the sound clip that we started with uh, in terms of them not being convicted uh, for <clears throat> assault, but being convicted for filing a 
false report. Um, we'll talk about more of the details with the update, what's transpired, and even the retaliation against uh, Professor Dr. Ani. Let's see here if I can get her on the line here. Got her on the line. Uh, so glad to have her back with us. Dr. Ani, are you with us? Oh, did I get Hello? The... Oh, yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Hi. Oh, excellent. How are you, Mr. Renegade? Uh, right poorly. I say that always, just uh, as long as we're in the <laughs> system of white supremacy, it would be impossible for me to be good. Right. But I am uh, thrilled. Thrilled to have you back on the program uh, and to be able to discuss, uh, get get the update on what's transpired uh, with this case and you personally. Uh, before we get started, just uh, for any of the folks, new listeners, this might be their first time uh, hearing from you. Anything that you would like to share with listeners about who you are and the work that you do? Well, I appreciate it. No, I know you always open up with, to be clear, you are African-American <laughs> or European-American, white. So we'll start with I am uh, black, African-American. Um, Amani Shaketi Ani, Dr. Ani, also more recently among students, particularly Dr. X on campus. So that's it. Otherwise, I'm ready to jump right in uh, wherever you'd like to begin. There's so much to talk about, as you, you stated. Uh, it's um, <laughs> pretty heavy, pretty heavy everywhere right now. And I, I totally hear you. I feel you in terms of being, as you said, right poorly. Uh, you're not doing well. I completely understand what you mean. So it's nice to talk to you, though, nonetheless. Because it's, uh Yeah, it's rare to be around and in the midst of to talk with people who are as, you know, fed up, angry, awake, um, and ready <laughs> to resist, uh, as I, I feel myself being all the time. I'm the radical around <laughs> here, quote unquote. So it's it's just it's really cool to speak to you again. So I'm happy to be here. Ashe, glad to have you back with us as well. Uh, they, I am the militant uh, around these parts. Uh, right. That is what I've been called a few times. Okay. Um, let's see. Before, I guess before we get to the case, since there's been so much commentary with uh, President Tr Trump's remarks and the response, you are relative or actually i take that back i was upstate new york i guess you're not that close but that certainly has galvanized a lot of attention over the past 48 hours did you have any i guess brief commentary on what has transpired and your analysis of white supremacy okay i'm i'm but let's back up a minute I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you something about upstate new york and i'm i'm close but not too close or something oh wow it's uh, are you able to hear me or is am I, is my line still working? I can. Oh, okay. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, I said uh, I was thinking that you were in a different part of the world, but you are in upstate, uh, the upstate New York area. So you're not as close right. to uh, a major city. Uh, I was thinking a major city where there's a football team. Uh, so it's, you know, not right. exactly in your backyard, but I think it's probably something that you've seen just if you have any thoughts about what has transpired with all the NFL protests and Donald Trump's commentary. Uh Sure. Um, I'm not hugely familiar because as a, I think as a, as a rule, I don't tend to follow sports as it is, certainly not national sports. Um, 
beyond anything local that has to do with, you know, little kids exercising <laughs> and doing something constructive. You know what I mean? Great. Especially in particular areas of the country. I'm not really following. Uh, but, yes, it's, it's national news right now, as you, as you said. So I, I actually just posted something on Facebook because it's um, kind of, like you said, it's in the news. I don't know any, any names, uh, but I know that there are apparently a lot of NFL teams and owners um, who seem to be kind of pushing back against Trump uh, and his lunacy, whatever the, the most recent comments were about uh, particularly, I'm, I'm thinking, African-American players protesting, kneeling, or not coming out onto the field when the national anthem is played, et cetera. Um, this is what you're referring to, yes? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah, so my my general comments, and similar to what I, uh, it's probably public, uh, I posted on Facebook, uh, was that in many ways, and this I know you know, and many of your listeners know, uh, that protest is in many ways counterintuitive. It's not constructive as a means of, you know, attaining, achieving liberation from racism, white supremacy. Um, and for that matter, uh, I, I can't say extinguishing because that we likely will never do. Uh, as I tell my students, that is, you know, the job, a job for white people. So I don't really say extinguishing uh, racism, white supremacy, but certainly liberating ourselves from it, getting away from it as much as possible. Um, it's very counterintuitive and it does not get the job done. So I am, my students are aware, especially with my contract being terminated, that I'm not one to say, hey, let's go out, you know, quote unquote, beat the pavement and protest to try to rouse some white conscience or some feeling, some positive sentiment about black plight in any way. Um, it's, I don't, I, I get it. I get that people are anxious to do something, given, you know, the state of affairs right now uh, in the world. Uh, but that's not, that's not the thing to do. So to me, what I see, Trump, again, lunacy aside, because he is doing his job. <laughs> I don't even check for the latest Trump tweet or, you know, news headline, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, to, to folks out there, to people out there, who are watching and thinking, hey, that's a, that's a great thing. This is awesome. We're finally getting it. <laughs> you know, uh, people are waking up, particularly black people. Uh, and other non-white people are waking up to, to racism, white supremacy and starting to do something about it. Uh, pause. Take a serious pause because we're not doing uh, really much of anything. Hardly causing a dent, I, I, I think. I don't know what the... Uh, ratings are, for instance, but I know it's Monday night. I don't know how hard Monday night football is being hit in terms of people not watching, tuning in, for instance, right? Are, are those commercials and the revenues that, that those commercials bill stopping? Are they, are they diminishing? I don't even know if we're doing that much, right? And we're certainly not, again, rousing any conscience or ch changing any uh, major policy coming out of Trump's cabinet right now or uh, you know, local realities in terms of the state of education, right, in black neighborhoods and, um, you know, the food desert, you know. Uh, it, so so much is going on that for me that is not, um, it's a distraction is what it becomes, you know, from what's really happening. So 
and eh, I'm not short of leaving the NFL altogether and refusing to give up your black bodies. This is this is sort of this is toward the players right now, uh, lending your black bodies, you know, to the destruction of football for that check, uh, for the so-called and they call football a brotherhood. You know, that reminds me of the police force and the so-called blue code, the, you know, this fraternal order. It's just a bunch of, it's all a part of, to me, you know, the system of racism, white supremacy, and even us so-called protesting it um, becomes, you know, a, a part of the feeding, you know, to the machine. So I'm not, I'm, I'm unmoved. <laughs> I'm sorry to, if that sounds so, you know, disparaging or down, but it's that, that again, it, it's real to me. and. um as we as we sort of lay into all the things we're going to talk about tonight, I, I hope that becomes uh, clear to to listeners too. Excellent music to my ears. Um, mm. I did want to <laughs> say that uh, I have seen you know reports that ratings are down. Uh, that may be true. Mm. That may not be true. But I have seen reports, uh, and interestingly, some of it has been uh, white people saying that we're fed up with these uppity. Negros and they're kneeling and we're not going to watch or participate in this anymore. And then oh, wow. some of it has been other people saying, I don't like that they are treating Colin Kaepernick like this or the athletes like this. So I'm not going to get, I'm not going to watch anymore. Uh, they said that it could be a little bit of both contributing to uh, ratings being down this year. And they, I think they said they were down last year uh, as well for some of the same uh, and the whole concussion thing as well. But I mean, all of that is kind of tied mm-hmm. into anti-blackness, mm-hmm. white supremacy and disrespect right. for black lives, black bodies. Uh, but I did right. want to say quickly before we get to the real serious issues, um, you mentioned the distraction, something about all of this just seems very contrived to me. I think they had a hashtag mm-hmm. for this and that alone just uh for me just it seemed it reminded me someone mentioned dr john hoberman's work he was a guest on our program suspected racist he wrote the book uh darwin's athletes and he he used the term racial theater and he said that a lot of times when you have these types of controversies and what have you Mm -hmm. it just becomes racial theater uh that we're already in an environment saturated with white supremacy so anything that is talking about that explicitly uh, in a way that is traumatic uh, or entertaining. Uh, some You already got the gladiator thing. We already got entertainment. So now we just add a little splash mm-hmm. of extra racism on that. Mm-hmm. And hey, now we got so we could talk about that for a good week or so and get the president involved. It just mm-hmm. seems like racial theater uh, to me. And as you stated, not really changing anything. Uh, and for me, really, the thing that I have most enjoyed was President Trump's remarks. I have never in my life said that's my president, but that was my response. That is my president, and I immediately broke out into four more years. Four more years. We have got to have four more years of explicit, flagrant white supremacy being in. And it wasn't just the expression, which I loved. I have I couldn't even play a sound clip of it because I laugh uncontrollably every time that I see it. Like I knew I wouldn't be able to contain myself if I played it, but. When I have watched it and been mildly mature, it's not just, you know, his, it's the white crowd applauded. They didn't say, oh my God, the president just said, that is so, they didn't say that they applauded. 
they broke yeah. into USA, USA, and they had the flag in the back. I said, wow, wow. I, four more years. Four years. Make it right. as plain and as flagrant as you can. People that read with right. us, Ben Tillman and the Recon. That is Ben Tillman <laughs> on display. Yeah. 21st century. Mm-hmm. I was not upset. I'm not mad. Four more years. Four more years. Four mm. more years. As long as you want to stay there, just keep it up. That way, everybody will know exactly why we keep having these problems, like what these young ladies wow. experienced on the bus, Albany, New York. Now, absolutely. The I guess to make sure with the synopsis, did I miss anything? Because, I mean, it's this has been going on for a year and a half, what Alexis mm-hmm. Briggs, Ariella Gudio, and Misha Burwell, what they've been, this is about a year and a half to summarize. Did I miss anything from, if you were able to hear the synopsis? Um, You didn't. I did hear this, the synopsis. Thank you. Okay. You didn't miss anything. No, not at all. Um, You know, it's really crazy to hear how long it's really been strung out. That's true. Um, You know. Uh, again, a fight, a two-way, two-sided fight, uh, altercation, uh, several people granted. But it was it was essentially a, a college fight that really has become, um, you know, this major, again, spectacle of racial bias and intolerance, quote-unquote, an academic term, tolerance. Uh, but it, it's, like you said, the writing is on the wall. The fact that this has become such a major, um, literally, grand jury uh, trial in the state of New York. Um, Yeah, it'll be two years soon. And I'm happy to offer an update in terms of, uh, in terms of, you you got, I know that you got, you you played a snippet from, sounds like a reporter, uh, in terms of what the, verdict was, but I'm not sure if, if folks are really clear on what the various counts were, again, all against these uh, three, which turned to two, as you stated, uh, young African-American students, female students. Um, there were a total of seven counts, I'm not sure if you said that, that were brought against them. Did you catch that? I did not mention that Most of them. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, most of them were, it came back as, as not guilty. In fact, all but, and I'm looking at, you wouldn't believe my desk right now, all the paperwork on it. Uh, one, two, um, it looks like I'm holding, if I have, my eyes are seen correctly, yes, three counts that came back. In fact, two, um, but for the, the, the two girls, two counts out of the seven, I apologize, came back as guilty. And... This is this is really where where it becomes really ridiculous. You know, you say you know four more years so that people are are very clear and know what we're what we're dealing with. If you had any confusion or hesitation in terms of understanding that racism and white supremacy continues, that it is you know there is an agenda that is institutional, that is uh, political, that's social, um, that's perpetuated on all of these these various grounds. Uh, just just take a look at our president right now. Um, you know, this is, this is really one of those cases for me. The more that information is revealed to people, they really get, okay, this, this is all, you know, uh, a big, essentially, um, showcase of white aggression, 
and not just aggression, but uh, the propensity of white people to be successful at aggressing against non-white people, even today in 2017. Um, all that being said, I'm looking at the counts, right? And you remember the case. Uh, it was about these three African-American college students who uh, immediately after this altercation physical that turned physical called the police on their own behalf to file um, or to report having been the victims of this um, attack by these a group of white students. They didn't know who, didn't have names, didn't know, you know, who, who uh, at, at that point, who walked through punches, et cetera, but they were outnumbered on this bus. And they were antagonized, provoked, and eventually assaulted physically, right, on this bus. Um, they're the only, they are, essentially, they are the only, um, they are three of, I think, five, in fact, three of, I think, five uh, African-American uh, students on this bus. The rest are basically all white. Um, and I say basically because those who weren't essentially could pass, quote unquote, you know, whenever it, it suits them. Uh, they might claim, well, I'm Italian, right? This, this sort of thing, all white, these students. Um, and long story short, after they uh, call the police, they wind up, one, um, also called the police, but then had to receive medical treatment. Uh, diagnosed with a concussion, one of the girls, um, you know, we, we see the video footage and we see that, you know, extensions are pulled, their hair extensions are pulled out from one of the girl's heads, et cetera. So they were physically assaulted. Uh, they, however, wind up being the uh, quote-unquote criminals in the case, according to UPD, University Police on campus, the University Police Department, uh, and the city of Albany. They're charged with falsely reporting a crime to police officers, uh, harassment, of course, and the second degree various degrees of harassment um, against these students, uh, falsely reporting an incident in the third degree, uh, which essentially was about the social media. They had various counts, again, of these various uh, crimes. Uh, so one of the, 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 the third degree was, um, let's see, one of them was not the 911 call. One was to a police officer. Uh, another was to another police officer, Officer Sandoval. Sergeant uh, Luis Aosa and social media. <laughs> they made that a charge <laughs> that these girls had tweeted that, hey, you know, which is what's happening right now. People jump on social media. You tweet, hey, this just happened. Or you may go on Facebook Live now and record yourself, uh, you know, uh, stating what you just went through, right? What's happening? Um, so those were the counts of false reporting. They found the girls not guilty for falsely reporting an incident in the third degree to the officers, Sandoval and Sergeant uh, Luis Ayosa. And let's see, not guilty there, but guilty for falsely reporting, for calling 911, okay, that, that third degree, guilty, and for social media, for putting the Facebook uh, post up. Guilty. How you 
justify or explain that, that I, I report, my story doesn't change. I say that I was just a victim of a physical assault. I state that I believe it was racially motivated. On, to the officers, when I call 911 and on my social media, but I'm only found guilty for my personal social media statements and uh, calling 911. So it, that, that to us was like, what? You know, but at the end of the day, they have to, you know, um, make an example out of these girls and couldn't let them off scot-free, if you will. Assault, not guilty. They weren't, they weren't guilty on assaulting any of the white students, not guilty, right? No evidence, nothing. But they literally, they, they had to put something on them uh, to, you know, maintain the positions, the social and, you know, political stratifications here. I remember the white female judge, uh, this was at the arraignment, this was last year, and she talked about mm-hmm. the uh, injury, the harm this had done to the community, mm-hmm. presumably the white community, mm-hmm. I feel like that is uh, deserving of there's got to be some sort of uh, punitive action taken here uh, for right. marring the good white people and criminalizing use of social media uh, in right. the effort to counter racism. I think that's important. Even somewhat, we talked about that with Black Mirror. I think that is has been an increasing anxiety uh, that whites have mm. articulated over the last few years or so. Black people increasingly okay. using social media in a variety of ways to highlight, pinpoint white supremacy, racism. Um, one of the one of the things from the recent trial uh, where you got these these seven counts. They're found not guilty on most of the counts, but the uh, false report uh, using social media and the 911 call. Uh, it seems mm-hmm. that their unwillingness, uh, Ms. Burwell and Ms. Agudio, their unwillingness <clears throat> to apologize seemed to be a particular mm-hmm. issue. Was that your observation? Oh, certainly. Um, definitely. But, of course, we knew that going in, and I know that I spoke to that uh, the last time I was on your show, your program. Um, definitely, that this, it, it all goes hand in hand. That, that's a no-no, right? We're giving you an out here. Before we drop the gavel, before we, uh, you know, make up whatever we want to in terms of convicting you, because we can, uh, you may appeal it. We'll see what happens there, you know. Um, before we do that, we're going to give you, it's always that giving, the tutelage, right, that, that white paternalism, maternalism, uh, that sense of, you know, uh, you're always going to have to request my favor, which is why I am not a promoter or an advocate of protest. Um, I'm not. Uh, it, it's, that definitely played a major part. The judge, if you could have seen the judge now, the, the, the judge for the uh, grand jury case, Oh, his name is escaping me now, uh, but we can easily get that. I'll make sure I drop that before we <laughs> conclude tonight. Um, but, oh, his body language. He was very brass. It's not even the word. I mean, he was eyes rolling, huffing and puffing, sitting back in his chair when he didn't, you know, shifting on one arm, leaning. I mean, he was he was giving it up in terms of, I don't want to be here. Let's speed this up. You know, we don't, this is not going to be more than a, 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 a you know, a five-day case, a week case. Uh, 
as particularly when the racial um, aspects of the case came up, which we all knew was a part of the case. They came in saying we this was racial. They called this racial racial slurs. They called not nigger, only nigger rather, but ratchet. We know what that word means, right? Uh, it was clear to us what was happening, and we have a right, right, in this country <laughs> to speak to what our experience was. This is my constitutional right. Isn't that what this is all about? His entire response throughout the the, the case was, uh, you know, very very disturbing. Uh, that you know. None of the court-appointed officers, no one, of course, ever, you know, showed any sign of registering his, his behavior. The jurors, of course, were instructed to sit still and quietly and not to show any facial expressions. But the judge, however, could, could let loose. So this was it, was, it was all a spectacle. I mean, it really was. And, you know, uh, both Ariel and Asha's parents, you know, I give them great respect because it was very difficult, you know, for them to sit through each court uh, meeting and not, in fact, I also, uh, several of us, both of the, the girls, uh, the, the young women's fathers and myself uh, and others who were there in support for, of justice uh, were asked, you know, threatened with being kicked out of the court. If we moved, you know, or made a noise or, you know, shifted in our seats or any of that, the, the officers were on top of us, you know, like white on rice, as we say. Uh, this this was the it, it was like a 1950s 1800 I mean it was just it was ridiculous so Is this yeah judge, the uh, fact that mm-hmm. I'm sorry go ahead I'm sorry no go ahead just you you I was going to bring it back to they're not apologizing Is this uh, Roger they were McDonald? made to pay for it I don't think that was his name okay. you're talking about the judge right yes ma'am I will get that okay I will get that um Time. No it's problem. I have so many, so many, like I said, notes on my, sure, I'll get that though. Yeah, that right there though, I mean, just in terms of that environment and, and that type of court setting, reminded of the mm-hmm. sound clip, uh, Allen Iverson, a retired basketball player <laughs> who, uh, he was mm-hmm. charged as a high school, same situation. Uh, he was uh, at a bowling mm-hmm. alley and a fight broke out and the black people ended up being the only ones charged. Alan Iverson was one of the folks charged. He was convicted. Mm-hmm. He ended up getting sentenced to five years prison time. And this was when he was a high school senior. Uh, so he almost, his entire career almost never mm-hmm. happened. And uh, it was just because Virginia at the time had a black judge and he pardoned him. He was able to get out. He went to Georgetown and the rest is history, but they did a documentary on just the fight and what happened and how all of that played out. And he, I think the night before he went to court and was convicted, uh, he said uh, he was talking with his friend, co-defendant, who also got uh, convicted. uh, And he said, uh, man, that white man has, and I think he might've used an excellent, he said, man, he has got a lot of power. And I have sound clipped that. He didn't say privilege. He said, power, mm, and you mm, go into that sort wow. of setting and probably going to have a, a all or mostly white jury. Uh, and then they mm-hmm. talk trash about you for a year and a half on CNN and mm-hmm. all these other outlets. Mm-hmm. And you're a no good liar and you won't even apologize. And you wasted all this money and wasted our time and played the race card. And then you get the white judge to come in and just look down on you for the, I mean, wow. And, and yeah. as a young yeah. person, this is not happening to you at, you mm-hmm. know, a seasoned 
veteran where you've got some experience happened to you at, you know, 20, 21 and what you think you would be, you know, how you would feel uh, going through that sort of situation. Wow. Right. I was, Absolutely. I checked some of the comments uh, about this situation mm-hmm. as well. And it seemed like there, in fact, I saw one comment where they said, uh, and you wonder why Trump was elected uh, when you see this right. type of garbage. And then I saw another one where it said, uh, it's now time mm-hmm. to retire Tawana Brawley and replace it with Agudio mm-hmm. and Burwell. Thoughts on mm-hmm. that? And and if this suggests mm-hmm. someone who is, quote unquote, ignorant, ill-informed about what racism is and how it works. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um as you all know, none of them are. Um, yes, I, I would say none of them are. Uh, not even your poorest, most you know, formally uneducated white person is unaware, unconscious of racism, white supremacy, uh, and the differences between you know white supremacy, uh, white nationalism, black nationalism, etc. Uh, they they know very well the differences and the context that we're living in. Um, the, the comments are are awful. They are hideous, some of them disgusting. And I hadn't read that one. I haven't seen that, uh, the Tawana Brawley comment. Um, But, of course, I've seen, you know, many of them uh, and, you know, calling them, you know, you know, here, now I'll call you nigger. You know, there you go. You lying niggers, right? All of those things. They And for someone who would, that same white person, chances are, would profess, you know, publicly not to be racist. Uh, and even in that instance, not to be racist, you know, but to to be sort of, you know, um, reprimanding or, you know, rendering some sort of vigilante justice. But I'm not racist. Right. This isn't me being racist. I'm retaliating and sort of, you know, uh, teaching these girls a lesson. Even in that is the lesson. That's the whole point. Racism, white supremacy. You know, if, if that's not what you're about, then you wouldn't even you wouldn't have a comment like that. Um, you know, that, that should disgust any of us, all of us, if you know, even a little bit of American, total North American, European history, uh, those kinds of comments are just, they, they, they are awful and they speak volumes about European Americans. And, uh, as you said, <laughs> their awareness, not only, uh, of what's happening right now, but then also the fact that you are, you can recall major events like that, right? You, you can recall, you can pull out a name, uh, a case, um, and liken it to this, this situation, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it is such a historic time right now, uh, in the U.S., not in the sense that what we're what we're observing hasn't happened before. We know that it has, but in the sense that as it's happening, so many other things are happening, culminating. You know, it seems to be at this very moment in terms of the technology, uh, as you were mentioning, social media, our ability to proliferate information about these issues, uh, the anonymity that that provides. You know, these comments, a lot of these uh, these usernames and things, they're not you can't identify who that person actually is. I mean, there's just so much happening all at one time right now that is really, it should, it should alarm non-white people to the core, you know, uh, and we should really be on guard. We really should. 
about not just um, protecting our bodies physically ourselves, but then also, as you were saying earlier, um, and, and the last time I was on, how this can just go on and on. They'll, they'll, they can drag your name in the mud, you know, for however long, eternity. You know, Tawana Browdy gets, gets brought up. I mean, it, it could just be never ending for us, you know. I mentioned last time how none of the, the white, the young white people's names were known. But Asha Burrell, Ariel Gugli, you know, these names we know, if, if you're familiar with this case at all. Uh, that That's problematic. So, uh, I mean, it's just, um, it's a very frustrating time uh, for me. Right, poorly. That's, you know, <laughs> say that consistently for a reason. Uh, but I also think that's important, too, to contrast just some of the reports that we've been talking about of late, the situation that happened in New Hampshire, where these uh, white urchins, they lynched a young child. They put a noose around his neck and pushed him off of a picnic table. I think this is like an eight year old uh, non-white child in New Hampshire. This was within the last 30 days. Uh, and when this was reported. I think Sink from the Young Turks when he was trying to give the benefit of the doubt and well, maybe they didn't know oh what they were goodness. doing or maybe they were horsing around. Uh, and even the situation mm. from, I think, last week with this white guy down in Louisiana, he killed multiple black people. It seems like he was targeting them, exclusively targeting black people and had Adolf Hitler literature uh, in his residence. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been arrested and what mm -hmm. have you charged. And they were it's the same thing. Well, I don't know if we want to call them a racist. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. we'll we'll mm -hmm. have to see. And you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions. And that's mm -hmm. that's a big mm -hmm. charge. I think I would, bodies in the street. He's been arrested. All of this. They. I think he came out the day later mm -hmm. that he had the Hitler uh, literature. But yeah. that sort of caution ex exercised when whites are lynching, attempting to lynch black children, and or out and out killing serial killers targeting black people, and it's still caution and well i don't know they mm -hmm. still have rights and they're innocent until proven guilty this was just mm -hmm. a fight where these black females were the only ones who called the police to say hey we've been attacked like no one else mm -hmm. and you do not get the same level of caution no one died here <laughs> no fatalities you do not see the same level of caution and in fact it seems this white indignation that uh no this wasn't we're not even satisfied that they got community service and probation and have to pay a financial fine or what have you we want them on a chain gang like we want them you know digging right. ditches for a year or we want them to be enslaved making you know we we want the harshest punishment possible for these young black females and you see the exact opposite with white people when they commit all sorts of crimes, including killing people, it's the exact opposite mm -hmm. treatment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then of course, as uh, you know, um, on the opposite end of that spectrum, same, same white supremacist spectrum, uh, is the, um, you know, <laughs> hero and heroin making the martyrdom that happens, uh, Oh, I can I can name names, but I'm <laughs> uh, from whether it's an academic or you know a, a quote unquote lay person, a non-academic who um, you know the the public may otherwise not really know. Uh, let let a white person do the slightest you know s supposed so-called anti-racist work, whether it's a statement or you know uh, participating in a, in a protest, and that becomes you know just this the poster board, the poster child or, you know, image of what humanity looks like, you know, uh, it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. And it's a part of what, um, 
what we are called to, I think, remain vigilant about, right? Whether So with this case, the fact that so many, again, as, as you know, people were very quiet and there were too, too few questions raised. And the, the minute that the media spun the story, everyone was even more quiet and, you know, non-active in terms of supporting and talking to the three young African-American women uh, whose story was yet to really be heard, to be told. Um, it's, we can't, we, we know where we are. We know where we are. We know how this country, you know, began. Uh, we know how um, this, and that includes Canada. I'm talking about North America when I say that. You know, we know where we are. Uh, and it, it's the fact that uh, people are reluctant <laughs> in this 2017, reluctant to convict a European American uh, to the same degree for more heinous crimes, right? Not even the equally aberrant and awful crimes, but uh, as you said, they are still handled with uh, these sort of kid gloves. Um, this is what we're talking about, you know, when, when we say racism, white supremacy, and they know it very well because of all the hashtags, and I've written about some of them. I know you've written about some of them. Uh, you know, hashtag criming while white, you know, uh, hashtag white privilege. What was the other one? Uh, they, they have all these various hashtags where, where white people are sounding off about, you know, all the things they've gotten away with, right, from drunk driving to assault to, you know, theft, all kinds of things, you know, and they, they're sent home for no other reason, I think, I say, I argue from my research and what I know, for, for, for no other reason than to uphold the image uh, and um, the political social capital of being white, of whiteness in this country, you know, so that on, on the, we are always the poster board, right? But then also the non-whites are naturally, you know, antithetically the villains. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. Context of white supremacy, preserving the purity, innocence uh, of mm -hmm. individuals classified as white. Absolutely. Uh, with this case, uh, and and just I think that's important as well, Tawana Brawley, if folks are not informed, this was a young black female mm -hmm. uh, who uh, reported that she had been sexually attacked by sexually raped mm -hmm. uh, by I think it was that's six right. different NYPD officers. This was in the late 1980s and Al Sharpton was involved with the case. I think a lot of white people, that mm -hmm. is the, the seed of their hatred for Al Sharpton is mm -hmm. his involvement mm -hmm. uh, with that mm -hmm. case. But I mean, sure. even even if you don't think, you know, that happened, I don't know why that's, this was, this is a case that happened more than 25 years ago. Why would this be someone that 25 years later, you still have right, exactly. intense hatred hatred and animosity towards and you see and it's not right. just isolated to one white this is a a pattern uh of behavior uh where you see this sort of animosity mm -hmm. in fact i played that sound clip a while back where they were talking about al sharpton uh being involved in a case and you had white people saying i wish he uh, i wish he was dead and the reporter said well wait a minute uh we're here doing the story about his work with yusuf hawkins and he was stabbed uh, when when they were doing about a block from where we're standing at. And the white woman, wow. white women, white woman said, I wish he had died. 
and oh, continued wow. right on with her interview. Really? I've played that repeatedly, mm-hmm. but to have that sort of hatred and animosity attached to somebody for something that happened that long ago where you didn't lose any money, mm-hmm. you didn't lose your house, mm-hmm. like your ancestors weren't right. I mean, what is that mm-hmm. connected to if it is not psychopathology? Hey. Uh, the- Pathological racial personalities and other essays. Dr. Bobby E. Wright, his phrase, psychopathic okay. racial mm-hmm. personality. What else can it be but mm-hmm. that? I'll Absolutely. leave you all. Uh, a big part of this also, I think, is is the retaliation that you personally have fe- uh, experienced for being involved. You've been ferociously, uh, courageously out advocating for these young ladies for a year and a half, almost two years, uh, as you said, doing yeah. radio interviews. You've spoken with us and other folks. Mm-hmm. You've written, been quoted in the newspapers mm-hmm. and what have you. Uh, you talked mm-hmm. about the non-renewal of your contract at the University mm-hmm of Albany in New York. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read a little bit uh, from the letter that you wrote <laughs> to Dr. Steller concerning this matter. Sure. Um, this is the first paragraph, and then you can kind of mm-hmm. let folks know how how all of this started. Did you anticipate that, you know, they were going to try and take some kind of action against you? Uh, but you write, okay. <laughs> they're talking about you. <laughs> they're talking about you. So they say, uh, Dr. Ani is a woman who has that anything you can do, I can do mm-hmm. better attitude toward men and does the hardest job to prove herself, end quote. This is what senior faculty members in the Department of Africana Studies at the University at Albany had to say about me, an African-American woman and junior faculty member in the department whose work on confronting racism and other injustices at the university is apparently unwanted. I have attached for you, the newspaper clipping expressing these words that was placed under my office door while away representing the university at a research conference during the week of April 24th, 2017. Further troubling Mm -hmm. is that the dean's office evidently agrees with the department's position on my efforts to address racism and other social problems through my work as Dr. Wolfert and Associate Dean Rabideau have advised in official statements that I recalibrate the tone, in quote, of my teaching and research for a softer approach. To all of these individuals, I say, this is not 1953, and I am not your nigger. The words of Dr. Ani. Can you... Elaborate and and again, did you kind of have an idea that they were going to try to take some sort of punitive action against you and and your job? Uh, sure, I can elaborate um, and answer that question. No, so here here's the thing: as much as we know that racism and white supremacy uh, is not, we know, um, and and I have to just kind of put this in here right now uh, because it it peeves me, it it's, it greatly bothers me that the academy and it's a part of the agenda but you know it's very common when i ask students today whether they're in undergraduate or graduate uh, school anyone what race is what what is race what is racism you know uh the first thing for both of those that they that they go to and their you know answer their response is well it's a racial it's a social i'm sorry it's a social construct uh that bothers me greatly because it, it very much waters down all that we know scientifically from a biochemical standpoint, uh, from an anthropological standpoint, a historical standpoint, a political standpoint. Politically, you could argue, okay, social construct, that, that kind of fits, sociopolitical. Uh, 
but even that, you know, takes away from the legislation, the institutionalization of racism as merely a social social construct. All that being said, uh, knowing that racism, white supremacy is is real and as institutionalized, uh, and by by institutionalized, I mean you know in the laws in this country and the policies in these universities, like the University at Albany, but then also in the genetic coding of white people. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't expect, as much as I know that racism, white supremacy is very real, I did not expect uh, to, for my contract to be terminated or to be targeted simply because I don't expect or accept disrespect or injustice. Now, I'll, I'll try to kind of clarify that a bit more. Um, I expect white people to be white people, but I do not on any level ever, and I don't think any non-white person should expect or accept injustice. Uh, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a, I think, a, an important line there and a, and a difference. I expect them to be who they are, you know, as they've been taught in many ways, as they breathe, you know, speak and are, are continuously sort of working with their epigenetics and hopefully trying to, to outgrow uh, their history and, and their, their DNA, their anthropology. Uh, but um, I, at the same time, stand in my power uh, and in my existence, my reality. So was I surprised? No. <laughs> but do I expect or, or uh, sort of, you know, look for, you know, the, the dagger, uh, you know, coming flying around the corner? No. And I think that we should never, ever get to that place. Um, so I hope that makes some sense. Uh, it's, I, I am not resisting in the sense of appealing the decision uh, because I'm, I'm very clear about where I am. I have written statements like the one you're holding and you read from on several occasions since I've been here, I've made it a point to document my experiences, to express my concerns. Again, that's my power. That's, that's my job. I'm on my job, I think, when I do that uh, as, as an educator and as a, as a woman, as a professional. Um, so I've done that. And at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm at definitely if uh, you are, you know, you're going to tolerate senior faculty putting newspaper clippings under my door that are clearly um, offensive, right? And we can, I don't know if I sent the newspaper clipping to you, but yes, there's sexism in there. Okay, <laughs> you saw it, right? Like, you, you're just going to let that ride. The dean, the president, the provost, that's okay? Okay. So I know where I am. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not going to waste precious energy and time devoting uh, you know, all of my skills and, and, and my abilities toward fighting with you. I know who you are, and you're going to dig them hills in the sand, right? I have fervently pissed you all off. I got it, right? So I, it's, for me, if I'm stuck at, oh, no, I'm losing my job, I'm terminated, what am I going to do? Uh, then now it's time for you, Mr. Renegade, and everybody else to call into question my dignity, <laughs> my self-respect, my intelligence, my skills. There's too much more that I could do. Uh, than to, to, you know, it, the proof is in the pudding here. It's, it's written on the walls, you know, as we said, uh, with how they treated the three U Albany students, 
that they took to court. They charged and tried the university. Uh, you know, you don't value the students. You don't value the faculty. Uh, you have no conscience. And so, it, you know, it, it, it sort of is what it is. And I'm, I'm proud, no matter what happens, uh, to have been as vocal and as supportive as I've been because I've left my mark, I hope, you know, with many, many students. Uh, so, and anyone listening. Context of white supremacy. This, uh, we have workplace racism, our weekly broadcast, mm-hmm. Thursdays, 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, the late mm-hmm. grandsister, Dr. Frances Crest Welsing, uh, she used to say mm-hmm. consistently that it should be impossible to have a group of 10 black people, even five black people, and you can't have a robust hours long conversation about workplace racism uh, and saying that, mm-hmm. hey, it's how many black people can say, hey, I'm getting all my raises. I'm getting all my promotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not harassed. I have a great office, mm-hmm. huge desk, comfortable window mm-hmm. view. And I am just propping my feet up, biding my time until I get ready to retire. Like, I don't know a whole lot of black no. people that can say that we should be talking about workplace racism on a regular basis. Uh, speaking of which, so mm-hmm. you wrote, I read a little bit from your letter where you wrote mm-hmm. about a letter being slipped under your desk. And so I looked at the second note and I have the letter here. So I want to read the letter for our listeners just so they know I'm not making this up. We're not messing around. Uh, but okay. this person slips this letter under your desk. This person, one of your colleagues, a suspected racist. Mm-hmm writes in to the newspaper column for their, I guess they have a column, Dear Annie column, where you can write in with your workplace, whatever problems, and she gives you advice. Mm -hmm. So this person wrote in to the local paper, uh, didn't put any names on it and didn't put the institution, but wrote in uh, with trouble or troublesome coworker. It got published. And then after it got published, while you were away at a conference, they put the article under your desk. Is that what happened? They slipped it under my door, right. And so, you know, to be uh, clear, I don't know if any of my coworkers actually, my colleagues wrote it, uh, but certainly apparently upon reading the Daily Gazette that week, they thought this was very fitting uh, if they didn't write it and printed it, cut it out and slipped it under my door. Didn't put it in my mailbox, slipped it under my door quite anonymously, I'm guessing, uh, when no one was around. and just left it for me to receive when I returned. This was the same week also, as far as just the greater context, that the senior faculty voted to renew my contract or not. And so here we we kind of have to, at least for a second, talk about, um, I don't really say internalized racism. I just call it selling out. Uh, (laughs) We have to talk about the fact that these are uh, faculty in the department who are all black, uh, who are those black folk that uh, Dr. Welsing talked about we should never be. And that's those black people who are always happy on the plantation. They don't see racism at all. If they do, they're not going to speak on it. They're not going to rock the boat or cause any trouble. Vanessa, that's who's here. <laughs> so they put that, one of them put that under my door. Uh, the same week that they all sat together and talked about how my scholarship is racist, I am uh, 
racist when I, you know, teach particularly white students, I'm insensitive to them. So they, you know, really spurred on this divisiveness in the department that spurred on uh, the university's uh, confidence in making the decision to terminate my contract uh, without any resistance because these Negroes here are quite content, you know, with their salary. And naturally, (laughs) none of them were ever at court for Asher Ariel, ever hosted any sort of program, in fact, was very opposed to um, my holding the state of Black SUNY Albany on campus around the time that the charges were being brought up against the girls. Uh, So it's a a whole, you know, situation here where racism, white supremacy is alive and well on this campus at UAlbany. And the Department of Africana Studies, very sadly, is no contender to it other than myself, and they want me gone. Wow. So the letter Mm -hmm. that was, I guess, slipped under your door uh, while you were Mm -hmm. away, uh, it reads, uh, again, this is written into the paper, so the title is Communications Breakdown with Troublesome Coworker. Dear Annie, I'm having issues with my coworker. I am maybe three or four years older than she is. This is her first job, but she has been here for two or three years. Does does that jive with your record, your employment uh, history? Yes, it does. This is my third year, so that was my second year. Okay. Uh (laughs) I've had many jobs previously, and I have been here for about a year now. She is a woman who has that anything you can do, I can do better attitude toward men and does the hardest jobs to prove herself. For the past several months, she has been actively avoiding me. It started when she would come up to others near me and invite them to parties and just ignore that I was there, consistently excluding me from these talks. It's not that bad to be excluded. We don't have to be friends, but it's more than that now. I can't remember the last time she spoke to me, even when communication between us has been crucial for us to do our jobs. If I go to the break room, the smoking area, or the bathroom at the same time she does, she will straight up book it out of there, not looking at me, not speaking to me. I have no idea why. Uh, Is there... Anyone on the job you are actively shunning? Shunning? Absolutely not. So here's the thing. This department uh, is quite at home at UAlbany. Uh, They have a history, the Department of Africana Studies here, and it's so shameful, but they have a history of uh, running off junior faculty. Uh, I'm not the first within the past five years. In fact, I'm the third junior faculty member uh, to be either voted out or pushed out because it's so toxic, one of the two. Um, Mind you, the most productive in the department in terms of research, presentations at national conferences, international conferences, service, speaking engagements, et cetera, uh, the most productive and active right now. Uh, And, you know, all of the the sort of the, the points that you're supposed to hit as a faculty member going toward tenure um, politics aside, right? We're not worried about whether or not we agree. This is an academic space of higher learning, uh, 
in fact, um, you know, a certain amount of intellectual debate is healthy and, you know, requested, right? We want that. It's encouraged. Uh, this is that that would make uh, for a lively academic department. Um, well, <laughs> not here. They want you to be a good Negro, period. Uh, and so for the junior faculty, we tend to, as you know, you, you're probably well aware, it's usually the young people. And that's across all uh, groups of people, all places. Uh, it's usually the, the young people who are your most vigilant in terms of political, um, not so much participation in terms of voting, that's uh, your older folks, but, um, you know, the most active, vigilant in terms of uh, going against the status quo, you know, the system, uh, demanding change, revolt, revolting, the revolutionaries. They tend to be your younger people, right? We're talking 40s and below, mid-40s and below, right? Uh, they, don't, they don't exist here. <laughs> they literally are senior faculty here. Um, so in terms of, you know, the, the newspaper clipping thing that I've shunned anyone, no. Now, mind you. My first year here, the first semester, in fact, my contract started September 1st, 2015. By October 15th, I had a busload of students, in fact, two limousines full, you know, stretch limousines uh, full of students driving from Albany, New York to Washington, D.C. to attend the Justice or Else March uh, put on by, of course, it was the third commemorative Million Men March. I'm sure you're aware, right, by the minister uh, Farrakhan uh, with the Nation of Islam. I took students, some 30, 30 students, 30 plus students, to D.C. <laughs> my first semester at their demand, right? They want to go. Well, hey, let's go. I'm not one to not support young people taking an active position in um, improving the conditions in this country and taking an active position in improving the conditions of their lives, their own chances, right? Uh, as non-white, young non-white people. So I said, let's go. Okay. I helped to orchestrate that, to coordinate it. So from the, out the gate, that happened. There were other events that I supported, you know, coordinated, and uh, always at the behest of students and request of students, um, I've been that faculty member. Uh, as the letter said, holding extra hours for students to be able to come into my, uh, extra office hours, that is, uh, to come in to see me. Um, to for advisement, particularly around all the police brutality cases, of, you know, murdering unarmed black people. Um, I, I'm present, you know, um, and the university, this department has taken grave issues with that. So I've been shunned. <laughs> I've been the one that, you know, I'm, I'm that Farrakhan supporting, you know, <laughs> uh, militant, black militant, you know, that they are afraid um, will come here and cause problems with the dean and the provost. It's the same old story, you know. In your letter, uh, you continue on going down a few paragraphs where I thought this was important. Mm -hmm. One, because uh, a lot of Cal's guests uh, popped into this paragraph, uh, the infamous uh, admitted white supremacist mm -hmm. known as Tim <laughs> Wise, uh, Joe yeah. Fegan, uh, Jane Elliott, mm -hmm. Michael Bradley, uh, I've all been guests on the cows, a few of them multiple mm -hmm. times. Uh, your paragraph, it writes, uh, or it reads, Jane Elliott can say publicly that all white people are consciously and shamefully racist and receive mm -hmm. praise for her pandering. 
She is white, an admitted racist. Tim Wise and Joe Fegan, too, can say that America will never be post-racial as long as white people maintain that they are experts on what and where racism is and how it must be taught out of existence. They are, they are white men. Michael Bradley, Sandra Kaplan, there are others. That is, white people who have said in classrooms and research and on public stages agreeable things to that which I have said and taught without the constant crucifixion and harassment that I have experienced here in just two years. In fact, mm -hmm. they have, in many instances, earned large sums of money and been awarded with high-ranking faculty positions at major universities precisely for saying them. Based on my number of publications, research presentations, positive faculty and course evaluations, service activities, and additional public service events, uh, radio interviews, newspaper editorials, the only logical explanation for the University of Albany's decision to terminate my tenure track contract is that a black woman is still not allowed to say and do what white men and white women can in New York State schools with any expectation of being supported. This is detestable to say the least. Uh, mm -hmm. One quick addendum I would add, uh, I know for Timothy Wise, uh, because we talked about it in detail, uh, he is not okay. a doctorate. He does not have a Ph.D. Uh, he does not have a master's unless he's been doing some schooling uh, in the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, he just has mm -hmm. a bachelor's uh, and can command a way higher salary and right. is assumed to have much greater expertise and integrity than right. a black person with 20 Ph.D. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, whose work he labeled mm -hmm. pseudoscientific mm -hmm. bullshit on this program. Uh, but mm -hmm. that paragraph mm -hmm. specifically uh, in, mm -hmm. in terms of how you have been attacked for your scholar. And I think you said they told you to uh, recalibrate your tone <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah. Just can you, Stop can you, yes. Can you, can you give us more of the detail about that? And I guess if, if that's been a problem for the full time that you were there, not just a recent issue. Yeah. Oh, it has. I've, I've, uh, I'll say, uh, oh, some 99%, 98%, I would say, of the, my students, uh, and that's across uh, the racial ethnic spectrum, uh, all the, you know, white and non-white, um, have claimed, have expressed appreciating, valuing my teaching, my work. Uh, and that is the, you know, they're challenged, speaking of the white students in particular, they are challenged, they're, they're uncomfortable, but, you know, they're able to at least, you know, look me in the eye at the end of the semester and say thank you and, you know, talk about how, how passionate I am and how inspiring I am and how I know my stuff, quote unquote. Um, that being said, for those now, again, that, that, that's probably not true <laughs> from all those white students. They probably can't stand me. Okay. Uh, but there are within that the, the white student uh, population that are that come through Africana studies here and that take have taken my classes. Uh, there is a good one percent that are pissed, and that one percent grieve their grade. You know they go through a grade grievance. Uh, you know they they deserved an A, of course, right? What is this C? <laughs> you know they might have failed. I, I failed white. Absolutely, you failed. If by the end of my class, end of the semester with me, you can't 
uh, accept or talk about uh, the state of the world in terms of everything we're facing, um, you know, the harsh effects on the environment from industrialization, right, coming out of Europe, uh, obviously the Maafa, right, enslavement, uh, and the building up of this country and uh, Europe and Canada, right, the genocide of whole populations to colonize and take over these these uh, locations, right, this European expansion, et cetera. You can't talk about these things uh, very openly. Uh, and I watch you throughout the course continuously try to go around them, navigate. You're not using the terms that I've taught you, that I've provided and given you and asked you as the professor to use in your papers and your discussions to be direct, to be honest, et cetera. You fail, right? Of course, they're not used to that. Um, how dare I? <laughs> I've had white students tell me they don't have to follow these standards. Uh, you do. Uh, my name is on the door. <laughs> you know, this is my office. This is my class. Actually, you do have to follow my standards, right? You have to respect them. And the fact that you think you don't as a student, that you can tell me what you're going to do in my classes, uh, problem. And so I, I hold up a mirror to their young faces. This is you. This is who your, your parents have raised, who, who you've, you've been taught to be, and who you've been supported to be and being in this society. Uh, so, of course, they put up everything. <laughs> she called me ignorant. She, you know, well, this is in the dictionary. Let me explain to you what ignorant means. And it's okay. Your parents didn't teach you. They didn't teach you for good reason. They want you to maintain racism, white supremacy. These, this is my class. These are my classes. Uh, so when they carry <laughs> their complaints over to the dean's office, of course, they're, you know, they're appalled. We hired you to teach uh, about racism, and we know that you call it racism slash white supremacy, but we don't actually want you to teach it. So I'm told, you know, despite being hired under, uh, I guess you could say, uh, this, you know, um, under these pretenses of teaching, you know, the, the topics and issues that I teach and do research on, uh, they want me to do it their way. And that is not at all, essentially, to come and hold posts and not actually do my job and inspiring students and changing their thinking and helping them as much as I possibly can to at least confront who they are, you know, who they, you know, where they come from, et cetera. Uh, so I have students who grieve their grades, and this has been since I was, you know, from the beginning. Again, just a, a small handful, but the university has taken that two or three uh, to be, you know, my standard, right? You don't know how to work effectively or teach, you know, students. Uh, you know, your I've been called, they call me, you know, I'm trying to think of some of it, but literally I've, I've been told to uh, soften my approach, um, to recalibrate you know, use different language. Uh, don't don't split the, the class up in groups of children of the uh, <laughs> of of the uh, oppressors and children of the oppressed or descendants. I'm sorry, descendants of um, you know enslavement and descendants of enslavement. This is you're split up because politically, socially, this is where you are, right? We can talk about epigenetics. This is where you are. You're on that side. Look at each other, right? The the majority of this country is still segregated, not separated by choice. Right, that's a choice, but segregated. So we're, this is a microcosm, this university classroom. So get in your rightful seat and look at each other, and let's have this conversation in real time in the U.S. Right, and so 
uh, these are my approaches. And so Jane Elliott can, you know, <laughs> her famous uh, uh, activity of separating the, all the white students, they're all white, separating them by the color of their eyes. And, you know, she, she talks to white audiences. And, you know, she's, I, I'm sure you're, you're aware, but she's very sort of frank with them. Uh, and she's applauded, right? But she's a white woman, you know. Um, so to these uh, remarks, the president said nothing. The provost has said nothing. Uh, Bell, what's his name? Darren Bell or something like Wheeler? Darren Wheeler. Uh, he's, he's black. You know, he, nothing. You know, no one's responded to that letter you're reading from. Uh, they just said your contract is terminated. You know, so again, I'm, I'm clear. Um, and I just, I'm going to walk away from you, Albany, with many lessons. And having, you know, imprinted many students, like I said, and I'll leave my contact information, et cetera. Uh, but there's, there's nothing more that I could say that I think uh, than what I've said in that letter. And none of them have responded to it. So, you know, there's no, there's, there's no conversation to be had. Uh, there's just more work to do. Indeed, more work to do. Uh, I did want to ask, or I guess uh, I'll throw out as well, uh, if folks have a question they would like to ask uh, Dr. Ani, the number 641-715-3640 and the code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, number again, 641 715 the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, I did <clears throat> want to ask as well. Um, I know we mentioned uh, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing uh, a few times. Uh, she was denied tenure at Howard University and That's HBCU, right. uh, no less, because right. of her views on white supremacy, racism, okay. uh, and was told that specifically. And in fact, in our archives, uh, she mentioned in 2010, she said that she later on got information that the federal government was involved in her mm. being denied uh, mm. tenure at an HBCU. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. in hearing her talk about that over the years, um, she always placed that in the greater context, even though I know she was very uh, disappointed uh, about that, who wouldn't sure. be uh, to have your career right. aspirations uh, denied uh, and from an HBCU, no less. Uh, but she mm -hmm. was very mm -hmm. clear in terms of putting that in context that right. even mm -hmm. uh, black universities, quote unquote, they mm -hmm. too mm -hmm. uh, exist within the confines of white supremacy and whites can decide, uh, no, you're not going to have that position. Uh, and if you all want funding next year, then, you know, you better make sure that her name is not on that office uh, when next fall comes around. Uh, that's what the system of white supremacy does. Uh, I think she was very clear about that. Do you think it's uh, your situation at the University of Albany? Do you think uh, if it's a departmental thing, and particularly if you say there's a pattern of this sort of thing where younger, <clears throat> mm -hmm. younger junior faculty members come in who might have more energy, uh, who might be more mm -hmm. explicit in pinpointing and combating racism, white supremacy, that hey, we don't want those folks here. Do you think it's possible that racists could have 
constructed a department where they have non-white people who they know, hey, you're going to comply with what we want and uh, you could be out of here if you don't. Uh, And that might mean make sure any rowdy black people come through here a little bit militant, uh, get them to recalibrate their tone or hurry up and get them out of here. Do you think, you know, they could have calibrated that sort of environment within the Africana Studies Department at UAlbany? Of course, of course. And, you know, in fact, throughout Black Studies to this day, we have frequent conversations, uh, you know, as faculty about moles and agents, and we do, um, because it, it has happened from the beginning, you know, 68 to, to the present. So it's very possible, but I think uh, even, and, and mind you, we also uh, have not many, but uh, regularly uh, a few white majors, right, students who are literally fully in the department. They're taking every class. They take every professor. They're in conversations. They are befriending those who will befriend them who are black in the department as far as students go at the undergraduate and graduate level. Uh, And we never really know. And it is concerning. And it should be uh, because we have to be concerned and we have we're clear and we have to remain clear uh, that this government remains infiltrated. This government remains in the hands uh, of people who are white supremacists, not just the descendants of them, but they are literally still white supremacists. Uh, so we know that, that that is the case, you know, uh, that type of surveillance and, um, you know, counter um, intelligence uh, or intelligence, I, I should say, within black organizations coming out of, for instance, uh, you know, the CIA, FBI, that, that didn't stop, you know, with Hoover or, you know, that generation uh, of officials. So, no, yeah, it's, uh, in fact, I have documentation, because I am who I am, uh, of the FBI having knowledge, I believe it's dated 2005 or 2006, uh, that they knew the police force was going to be infiltrated by white supremacists, that it was happening, that they were, you know, there was a concerted effort and a plan to infiltrate across the country uh, that re- uh, to have a resurgence of, you know, neo-Nazi, KKK, white supremacist, affiliated, et cetera, uh, uh, police officers at all ranks. The FBI knew this, didn't alert the public, you know. So, and then, of course, we watched as unarmed black person, again, time after time, was murdered, organs were stolen. You know, all kinds of things are happening. Uh, and we know the government knows is either behind it or betting it, you know, allowing it to persist because there are, quote unquote, bigger, you know, problems as they're concerned to resolve, right, or to focus on. So uh, it's very possible uh, that it's been orchestrated as far as, you know, from the government to get me out of here. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> it's also possible that there isn't. And that also scares me and concerns me. Uh, that too many of us still don't recognize that we are, you know, in a critical time and that we're not in this post-racial space uh, where we need to just kind of calm down or, quote, you know, be so-called patient and, uh, you know, we are progressing, uh, all all this nonsense um, to where, you know, you don't even need a white person orchestrating anything anymore. Uh, We have casualties, you know, within our uh, community as black people uh, and all native people, um, we have casualties, those who have lost their minds, you know, in this struggle. 
against racism, white supremacy, uh, who, who do white supremacist work, although they don't have the power and means to be racist, you know, to uh, create or, um, you would say, you know, perpetuate racism, white supremacy, uh, but they also may serve as obstacles nonetheless, you know, and, and the cause and the struggle. So the jury's out, and I don't know. <laughs> Context of white supremacy. I do see a few hands up. I'll try and nab our callers as well. Uh, caller at 4243. Four, Did you have a question for Dr. Ani? 4243. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. This is Red from Ohio. Um, I came into this show late and I apologize if you already discussed this, but I thought um, I'm kind of like confused about how tenure could be revoked. I thought that that was like a, like a guaranteed job basically. So um, that, that's my question just to maybe um, speak on that. Thank you very much for uh, coming to the show. Okay. Absolutely. My pleasure. I thank, uh, you know, Mr. Renegade and the team there for having me back. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to answer your question. So I am on the tenure track. It's called tenure track. So that means, you know, when, when you first start out, uh, most universities have a process where you're reviewed every few years uh, to see how you're doing toward making tenure, right? So tenure is something that you apply for after a certain amount of uh, publications, research is done, books, et cetera. Um, uh, presentations, again, there, there are three levels, research, teach, teaching, and service. And you are uh, vetted in the sense of, you know, you're tracked along the way in terms of your progress, your productivity. The larger idea is that you contribute positively to the university's name in terms of making it more prominent, right? Everything, again, as I said about even the, you know, the case, the UAlbany 3 with Asha and Ariel. Uh, and Alexis, uh, anything that hurts the university's image and name, such as, <laughs> you know, um, a hate crime, a racial hate crime, uh, you know, three African-American students, female students being attacked by a bus full of drunk white students, this is not good, squash that story, kill it, right? In fact, make them the criminals, right? Let's work our white supremacist magic cast that spell, use the media, all of our weapon, weaponry, all of our tools, and recast the story quickly, right? Because we want to always maintain a certain image as a university uh, as being, um, you know, uh, the diversity-loving, um, highly reputed, um, you know, institution to bring in more donor money, to uh, recruit students. You know, we want the black students' money, et cetera, but, you know, they, they also have a certain place. You know, it's all, it all sort of, it all works together for me as a faculty member and all of us here uh, across the country at our universities. That boils down to largely our research, productivity, service, um, and then lastly, which is crazy, it really probably should be first, or maybe at least second, but teaching, right? Uh, and many institutions, teaching is not even really prized they don't really care about student evaluations. Uh, they really care about the name you're making for the institution through your research. You know, so uh, I'm on the tenure track, and in a just situation, uh, the department, the dean, the provost, the president would look at my curriculum vita, 
and say, well, how many publications does she have, right? And how does that uh, compare to other junior faculty members across the institution and the Department of Africana Studies? Is she competing? Is she looking good toward making tenure? If the answer to that is yes, she has publications, she's been presenting her research at conferences, she has, you know, community, or not even community, but university service, uh, then uh, there, there are no other questions. But my particular review <laughs> became this whole, you know, charade of newspaper clippings under my door and, uh, you know, uh, quite, quite a long uh, report from the department chair and the dean. They were very upset by to the mothers of white men. That was a major piece. I guess I should have said that earlier, but that was a major piece. They were pissed. They were hot about that one. Uh, she's targeting, <laughs> you know, this is racist. She's targeting a certain uh, group of the, you know, uh, popul of the populace. And this is, you know, biased. So, okay, again, you know, my area is in racism, white supremacy. Naturally, I'm going to target white people, right? Yeah. So that became, you know, the sort of reverse racism. Uh, excuse or justification to say, uh, to invalidate, to, for them to invalidate my research and say that I'm not making progress. Did that answer your question, uh, Red, or did you have another one you need to get in? Um, no, that answered my question. Thank you very much. Okay. I'll my line. You're welcome. Grand. To the mothers mm -hmm. of white men, uh, we talked about that uh, when you were on the program earlier this year and you said you were going to put a copy in my hand so I could check it out. I was able to read it uh, mm -hmm. after you were a guest on the program uh, that time. And uh, I highlighted, uh, I'd sent some of my notes when I read it earlier this year, uh, lines such as white women are perhaps civilization's greatest enemy. Uh, she goes on, mm -hmm. uh, you write in the piece, you're asking of white women, ally with people across the ethnic spectrum in the U.S. and Europe in calling for civilization, training of the majority white male police force, and an end to global European political exploitation of non-white people and resources. You, the mothers of white men, should be taking personally the collective rallying cries against racism, white supremacy occurring around the world. An indictment on white occupied or majority societies is also an indictment on you. Your responsibility is not to drown or muffle the echoes of dissent coming from the world outside of your homes and neither to placate the barbarism and egotism within you, your family or friends, but to correct your ways according to the suffering and alarms resounding inside and around you excerpt from to the mothers of white men that passage specifically uh was mm. heather hare uh an illustration of that the heroine of the charlottesville protests of last month was she an example of it? no i'm i'm sorry um <laughs> i wasn't expecting that no and i, I don't want to be rude here because she's now deceased uh but no um I don't know who this young woman is outside of she was at this protest, which is 
good job. Uh, but I don't know what she has sacrificed in terms of, you know, any material resources, any, I don't know if she has children. She was a young, she was in her thirties. I don't know if she had children or, you know, what sort of legacy she's leaving behind other than being propped up, uh, as the, you know, great victim of what was a white, alt-right, white supremacist rally uh, of uh, a Confederate statue being taken down, right? And she was on the side of take it down, apparently. Uh, no, um, it's when I, what I'm referring to, what I'm talking about and to the mothers of white men is much uh, larger um, in the sense of, again, as I said earlier, I don't feel, okay, as we're having this conversation, 90% <laughs> of African-Americans, black people in the United States right now, people of African descent, um, 90% of us are either at or below the poverty line. 90% at or, I'm sorry, at or just above, at or just above the poverty line. Uh, this is our material condition right now in 2017. So for a white woman, to claim to have made an impact worth talking about uh, on something like that. And that's just one aspect of our, our condition right now. You know, we're not talking about imprisonment there. We're not talking about um, the, you know, medical or health end of that poverty uh, line or being just above it. I mean, the, there are so many ramifications uh, for us, you know, um, behind racism and white supremacy. For a white woman, uh, for me to applaud a white woman, as I've written into the mothers of white men, that would require uh, far more than attendance at a protest and essentially the accidental death. That was accidental. Or, or uh, in other words, it was not, she didn't jump in front of the car. Uh, she didn't, you know, she's not a martyr in the sense of, you know, going on a hunger strike or, uh, you know, saying, hey, until, you know, um, that 30% of black children who are living under the poverty line right now uh, are well above it to the point that uh, we can be sure that they will live to their, you know, physical um, and, and, you know, mental potential because they have the basics okay, to live today in 2017 in the so-called richest country in the world, until that happens, I'm not eating. I'm going to die with them. Until people who look like me, uh, my sons, you know, the, the person I'm sleeping with, the person that I grew up with in my home and, and my next door neighbor, uh, and, until that's Heather's story, I'm unimpressed. Because too many black people too many non-black people uh, have died, you know, contracts terminated, right? Who They don't know. Nobody at this university knows how that might affect my daughter, right? Uh, or the rest of my family, myself, my mental health and condition, my stress level. How many years is that taking off of my life, right? Literally, this is how uh, stress weighs on our bodies, right? Um, until that happens, no, <laughs> that's not... I, I'm not clapping for heaven. You know, peace be upon us.
Wow. The uh, I I mentioned that because uh, I have <clears throat> have heard thunderous applause for Heather over the past month, and I have likened her to modern day John Brown, uh, Viola Luizzo. Mm-hmm. That this is very very common uh, within the system of white supremacy. Yeah. And just speaking for myself, uh, Gus T. Uh, in my book, Heather is still a suspected racist. Uh, and you know, I have no applause. I have no cheers. She could have been there. I mean, you have different facets of how racism, white supremacy is practiced. You do have some racists who say, Oh yeah, take the uh, statues down. Let's, uh, let's refine things. That would be better. Uh, fewer mm-hmm. protests. You do have some racists who take that position. So for me, she is still a suspected mm-hmm. white supremacist. No mm-hmm. applause either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have seen Absolutely. lots of, you know, cheers that this white woman was out. She was fighting the good fight. In fact, the most mm-hmm. despicable, the reason that I even bring that up, I was so glad to get your response on the Young Turks again, mm-hmm. so-called liberals. They were talking this weekend mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. said that there are more of these incidents of white supremacist violence. And the first example they used, or let me give it this way. The second example that they used was Dylan Roof at the church in South Carolina. The first example of white supremacist violence they used was the late Heather Hare. That's why I bring that up with particular venom, because you have got to be joking if this is now supposed to be my primary thought for white supremacist violence as a problem. Some white chick in Charlottesville gets hit by a car and you have white people getting gunned down in churches and all manner of violence happening on a regular basis. And it's, oh, yeah, but that white woman got killed. I cannot believe it. Right. Absolutely. Wow. You know, I I don't even liken her to John Brown. And I think that that's sort of what I was getting alluding to earlier about, you know, her death being essentially accidental. She went to, as you said, protest. And for we don't know. Her story, I don't know anything about this woman other than she was at this protest and she was killed. That's what I've seen uh, on the news. I haven't, you know, seen or heard anything about this, you know, sort of litany of anti, quote unquote, anti-racist work. Um, I, I, I don't, there, there's no, no other uh, reason that I can see other than she's, and mind you, <laughs> many people might say a, a relatively attractive white young white woman okay that we can plaster all over the media uh and feel sorry for and then the other thing is she now becomes the story right it's not the confederate statue and what that represents and what that means uh for the country uh you know what you know the larger issues of racism white supremacy and and the the victims of it non-white people you're not the storyline anymore it's heather you know uh this sweet (laughs) you know innocent, uh, uh, genteel white woman, you know, that should never have been hurt, ever. I also uh, saw that uh, there were three people, apparently, that were uh, some 30-something who were injured, and three people who actually died. She wasn't the only one that died that day. Right. Uh, but her mother's, yes, being masqueraded all over the country, and at many black events, her mother's being, you know, masqueraded everywhere about, you know, uh, and applauded, and it's it's disgusting. I mean, it it, it goes back to me, you know, to me to uh, that race, and by you know um, extension, racism uh, is a social construct. It is not. It, that that so underplays and undermines, you know, downplays what racism is. Uh, furthermore, there there is a there is a genetic basis to race. 
you know, the further we get away from these, you know, um, truths, uh, uh, we just have so much more to worry about. We have so much more uh, ahead, I'm afraid, uh, because we go for this, you know, the football protest, the Heathers, the, and we don't think about it, you know. Uh, I'm afraid not enough of us really think about what that means, what, what's actually being played on us. Context of white supremacy. Uh, again, our guest, uh, Dr. Amani Shaket Anin, uh, joining us live, getting our update on the U Albany three situation, as well as how she was retaliated against. Uh, I find it uh, telling that they picked out this piece specifically to the mothers of mm-hmm. white men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be outraged about again one of my favorite lines white women are perhaps civilization's greatest enemy Mm -hmm. uh one of the other gems in there you say uh to only the only feminist striving that white women ought to have is that of learning to be feminine that is female and not anything else not acting as wives and mothers but secretly hating it nor pretending Mm -hmm. to find partnering or the rearing of their children natural, yet being privately ignorant as to what these roles call for. Uh, The last portion, this pretending to find partnering or the rearing of their children natural, yet being privately ignorant. uh, What would lead you to make such a conclusion? Oh, many things. Their own history. Uh, You know, I have, you know, a lot of research um, dating back, oh, to the 19th century. Uh, as you know, Russia in particular is being described in Germany are being described in terms of the literal, literally the lifestyles and family arrangements uh, by white people, by Europeans. Uh, and then of course, much later on ourselves uncovering much of early European history, um, extremely barbaric. Uh, I know this isn't a news flash for you uh, and many of your listeners, but very barbaric. And, you know, it's, it's very important to understand that it wasn't until truly the, oh, arguably late 19th century, uh, early to mid 20th century, that the uh, positionality and sort of the image of white women, you know, this sort of allure of them being this prized possession really began even within European communities. Uh, Previous to that, you know, to sort of white women being protected from the black brood and who wants to rape them and take them and, uh, you know, uh, do harm. Before that was politically viable and necessary, uh, white women were severely mistreated, brutalized by white men. It's uh, largely where their, you know, feminism uh, springs forth from. Um, And I think that that's very important because white men and white women have a very antagonistic relationship to each other. Uh, and this, this now we're talking more about their, their particular psychology and history and issues that we see reverberating as I write about into the mothers of white men within their family uh, system. You know, the filicide, the, uh, you know, parents killing their own children, children killing their parents and, or other members of the family, shooting up the whole house, right? Before they, they were shooting up churches, they were just shooting up each other in the house, Um, you know, all of these sort of very barbaric, heinous, violent uh, behaviors, raping, how white women were treated during childbirth, uh, very heinously, you know, strapped down, 
uh, made to lay down, they call childbirth hysteria. You know, white women were going crazy. Right? All of their, the, the medical uh, terminology and treatment to the, um, you, you might say, romantic, you know, family interactions uh, are very brutal. And uh, we have to understand that even this sort of prizing of white women by white men is political. It's to serve the ends of racism, white supremacy. Um, it's not about white women, you know, largely. And they know that, which is why they're drunk, popping pills, heroin addicts. That's what I talk about at the end of that article, right? All of these, these major issues that they are, you know, as long as they refuse to deal with their own house, I'm saying, uh, they're going to continue to spawn brutal, barbaric, racist, white supremacists who are terrorizing the rest of the world. That's just the truth. Their history bears witness. Again, my favorite line, white women are perhaps civilization's greatest enemy. What do you think about this paper? Because you have other, you know, written uh, projects where you talk pretty explicitly uh, about white people and white supremacy. What do you think about this paper specifically got their ire? Well, oh, the dean's a white woman. (laughs) Well, you know, she's a Russian white woman, uh, Edelgard Wolfert. Uh, and as far as um, the, 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 the department, the senior faculty, uh, ah, they are, again, they've lost their minds and they have uh, bought into, you know, this notion of white women being that genteel, you know, innocent. It's not their fault. Racism, white supremacy is a white male disease and issue, uh, you know, capitalism. It, it goes hand in hand with sexism and then racism. Okay, let them tell it. Um, or sexism, capitalism, then racism. <laughs> so you know, I, I think that it's it's that I was in their minds or eyes attacking white women who are you know um, innocent in this, largely innocent in this. Right? They're not the 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 gun holding police that we see in the videos uh, in, in most instances. Right? It's white men. So as you know, people don't, people miss, you know, what's right up under their noses and what's right before them and forget, as you've stated in your writing, you know, that the majority of the teaching force and not just teaching, but social work who separate black children from their families disproportionately, right? And for lesser reasons uh, than white families and so forth, um, those are white women the nation's teachers, teaching force, and, you know, nurses, uh, uh, social workers, et cetera. And so we we are not and are not thinking and understanding that this is critical. And racism, white supremacy uh, is institutionalized very much and continues today. Uh, People don't expect it and they don't appreciate my attacking, quote unquote, white women. System of white supremacy. I think I've said for a few years now, uh, no one uh, mobilizes whites to violence like white women. And sometimes it only takes one white woman uh, to motivate multitudes of whites to kill, slaughter, maim, pillage. Uh, That has been a rallying cry for uh, white supremacy for centuries, uh, as as long as we've had this problem. I also wanted to make sure I bring up, let me make sure I did not get to read when you were with us last time, you mentioned uh, race and manifest destiny by Mr. Horseman. I did not get to 
read that oh, as of yet, but it okay. is still on my syllabus. I'm going to make sure that I make time for it uh, coming soon, uh, and then I'll be able to report back on that as well. But I did get to read uh, okay. C-section and racism, cutting to the heart of the <laughs> issue for black women and families. Uh, great research. Mm -hmm. uh, would recommend folks uh, nab a copy and read it. And again, just getting back to the health uh, okay. component of racism, white supremacy, and how this uh, impacts all of us in a very real way. Um, I guess what recommendations, because this is something that we talked about before in trying to encourage folks. I was around uh, a black mom who gave birth birth for the first time this year. Uh, she did natural mm -hmm. birth, uh, didn't go to the Good. hospital or anything. She's been doing breastfeeding. Uh, she and the child Excellent. are super healthy and super happy. She just mm -hmm. said she wished that there had been uh, more black people uh, offering these mm -hmm. uh, resources, like the classes on mm -hmm. uh, how to do the natural birth process and what it's going to be like. So you can mm -hmm. be trained for that. Like she wished it had been more black people there to give her mm -hmm. that information. Uh, what would you mm -hmm. share, particularly based on what you lay out in this report and the attack that black moms, uh, really all of us, but black moms in particular are under, what information, what suggestions uh, would you recommend to our listeners? Man, well, you just laid them out, Gus, honestly. Uh, don't go to the hospital. Uh, by all means, try to avoid it. Uh, try to avoid it. And if you find yourself, you know, for uh, any host of number of reasons, needing to go, because sometimes, you know, you plan for a home birth at home, which is sort of my story. Um, you have midwives at home and so forth. And then the midwives uh, recommend that you transfer to a hospital because your labor is stalling or, um, you know, hopefully not, but they, they can't hear the baby's the fetal, you know, fetal heartbeat and this sort of thing. Um, if you find yourself in that position going to the hospital, do not allow your child to leave your site. Um, absolutely fight to breastfeed, fight to, as they call now, room in. Keep your baby with you after you have given birth. Uh, because there's a lot that goes on, um, and even to the point of you might request something not happen, for instance, no immunizations or, you know, no ointment in the eyes, and they will do it anyway, because white women in particular think they know what's best, uh, and they, they may disregard your request. Uh, if you take medication, this is even more uh, critical, because you're not going to be as lucid. Um, you're under the influence of whatever they've shot you up with to subdue, you know, the pain or whatever. Um, try to stay out of the hospital, number one. Plan for a home birth. Educate yourself around the natural birth process in Africa, not just here, but how our bodies respond, how we're built um, for natural birthing, the importance of breastfeeding. Educate yourself is the most important thing. Um, I would I would say that uh, those are my biggest recommendations for not going. That's a much longer conversation. They have, um, and I was tasked with with finding the name of uh, the test. But there's a, a test that they do using our baby melanated blood in particular. Uh, as as you all should know, there are three different kinds of melanin, not just one: neuromelanin, eumelanin, pheomelanin, Right. Uh, white people are higher in pheomelanin, little to no eumelanin, or neuromelanin. What does that mean? They do a lot of research using our blood uh, because melanin 
is in our blood, not just DNA or genes. Uh, they prick us, they take blood samples, our, our babies, when they're newborn. Uh, certainly in most states, if not all, the state of Pennsylvania is one. That's where I gave birth. Uh, they prick our baby's little hind, their heels of their feet, and they place drops of blood on these cards that they take to test for an illness that plagues white babies. Now, there are a couple issues here. One, you haven't told me what this is for. I had to research it. Two, you presented it as if it was an issue that plagues the entire populace and it doesn't. It's just white people. And three, you're taking part of my baby's blood, my body, with no, you know, um, consent and also no compensation, no even discussion of compensation, none of that, right? So we're constantly terrorized, and then we are experimented on. We're used, okay, continuously. Uh, this is Henrietta Lacks happening all over again on our babies now, using our babies. And it's an infinite supply, as long, or supply, as long as we keep going to their hospitals with no conscience about ourselves when we're there. So this is a much deeper conversation, um, but but definitely not. I you know I, I always promise you information. If I forget something, I'll get it to you. Uh, but these sorts of things, uh, we have to be on the alert of. If you're out of it on medication, make sure a family member, dad, your mom, your sister, whoever's with you, is present and watching your baby. Okay. Cornelia Randall gave that same advice when she was on the program. She wrote uh, Dying While Black. Uh, if you have to go to the mm -hmm. hospital, uh, really make an effort to have someone with you who is healthy, mm -hmm. lucid, uh, thinking mm -hmm. clearly right. so that they can ask questions. Uh, be Sometimes they just need to look. Uh, they don't have to have a medical degree okay. or PhD right. in chemistry or anything. Just observe. Mm -hmm. Oh, what are you doing there? Mm -hmm. What's that supposed to do? <laughs> Why you? That can be enough That's sometimes right. to uh, stave off the racists <laughs> from coming in and taking That's something right. that they shouldn't or all kinds of things just That's to have right. that person there to observe and look out for you. Uh, Roz, did you have a question? I see uh, your hand up. Do you have a question for Dr. Ani? should be with us. Uh, greetings to you, Gus. Um, greetings to you, Dr. Ani. It's great to have you back on the program. I also joined the show late. Um, uh, peace to all the callers and to uh, Red as well. Um, I did have a question. It was uh, based on um, what you said prior to this, this most recent segment. Um, mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that white women invented white supremacy as the mothers and teachers of all children and mm -hmm. uh, of their children, excuse me, both male and female. And I wanted to ask, due to the fact that white women did have such uh, problems with the white male as far as them being dominated by the white male in all areas of people activity before they encountered uh, non-white people, do you think that, this is, my, this is my thought, I don't know if you agree, I just wanted to ask and see if you do. I believe that white women invented white supremacy as a means to uh, consolidate her family. So in other words, instead of you dominating me, why don't we mm. dominate the world based oh, on this uh -huh. system once the mm -hmm. white male got back to Europe after dominating us worldwide and he had children mm. with non-white females, he realized that the result was a non-white child. So once he went back home, he reported his findings to his wife, and I think she started to really get that engine turning with him saying, listen, let's consolidate mm -hmm. around dominating all other people who are non-white. And that is how she was that was really the start of the feminist movement, in my opinion. And mm. I just wanted to know if you agree with me. I'll mute my line. Thank you so much, Gus, and it's a great program. Mm, thank you. Thank you for the question and for the welcome back. Um, 
Yes. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. Absolutely. And again, as I think about my research, um, that that fits in now, whether or not we will ever, you know, be able to, quote unquote, prove it with evidence, you know, uh, whether it be, you know, research or um, any sort of personal, you know, journaling, uh, any piece of literature. Um, I don't know, but it makes a lot of sense. And if nothing else, I think that we um, could very safely uh, theorize that that's true, that there was a, you might say, a resurgence of it, of that thinking or that, you know, um, in the, what, you know, around the the so-called civil rights era, you know, the 40s and 50s. Uh, Because, again, as far as I know, um, the prizing of white women is a fairly recent phenomenon amongst white men. So that makes sense. I I don't even know that we would have to look that far back to um, safely uh, theorize that that is, you know, that is absolutely a foundational uh, aspect of racism, white supremacy, white women uh, rallying around this us against them instead of you against me positionality with white men. That makes sense. And I will look into it. So you've given me some food for thought there, something something to think about uh, and look into perhaps for a future piece of research and uh, teaching. So I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, we were talking about Heather earlier uh, and this co-opting of episodes uh, and movements against racism, white supremacy. Uh, that that is definitely one that we know of for sure. You know, the the, the so-called feminist movement sprang up uh, a, a couple decades after. I mean, if if you want to be real, you know, honest, uh, even from the abolitionist movement, right, to end enslavement, uh, feminism came out of as a political movement out of our struggle and fight. So this is not new. You know, white women um, co-opting and taking center stage where they shouldn't. I don't know. That answer your question, Roz? Satisfied? Uh, Yes, I'm sorry. I had trouble with my mute button. Absolutely. And please uh, keep us posted on your research. It's something that I've come to a conclusion of myself after doing studying myself um, on the system of white supremacy and the, um, using the white female as the focal point and as the nucleus of the family. Um, mm-hmm. From all of the studies, that's my conclusions. I could be incorrect. And again, I would love to see what your conclusions are with your research as well. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on the program. And I wish, mm-hmm. look, wish, uh, look forward to seeing you on here again. Thank you. I'll meet my line. Thank you. Indeed. Appreciate Absolutely. that. Mm-hmm. Appreciate Send that. me something, I'll send you something. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you have, we'll share what we find. Look at series. Well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's something to think about. And, and Gus, again, you know I'll send you some information tonight, I'm sure. Before I go to bed, I'll be sending you some some things. Awesome. I found, uh, if, if I could, yes, if I could, um, it's called the PKU test, okay? Mm-hmm. Back to the racism and C-section, uh, cutting to the heart of the issue for black women. And so PKU, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it at this hour and make a fool of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but for short, it's PKU. PKU test, and uh, I'm just kind of, I Googled it, and I found it on WebMD, uh, um, tests done on newborns, okay? There are a number of them, but this one stuck out to me. Um, anytime you're talking about 
uh, amino acids, proteins, uh, this, this PKU uh, is done to check for, to see if whether a newborn baby has the enzyme, whether or not they have the enzyme needed for normal growth and development. That doesn't sound like a black issue, does it? That's a, that's a white issue. That is not a non-black issue. Anytime we're talking about uh, from particularly a healthy newborn, uh, you know, concerns around quote unquote normal development. These are catch words and terms that they use uh, to avoid talking about dominant and recessive genes, right? To, to avoid talking about neuromelanin. So immediately I said, wait a minute, you know, I need to look at this PKU test. So who, who is mostly plagued by P PKU? Oh, white kids. Okay, and we're talking some 90% of the time. When it, if it's a non-black person that is, you know, has this condition, if that's a concern, then it's it's very very rare, you know, uh, and you know less than ten percent of the time, et cetera. So this this immediately I said, okay, this is you all are using us to test for some, you know, cure <laughs> for you to try to uh, try to uh, mimic our genetic sequences, our uh, health and development, right? This is a problem. The fact is, and why is it coveted? Why is it secret? You know, no one in my family knows what the PKU test is, but yet every newborn has to go through it. <laughs> wow. White people doing uh, experiments, uh, conducting research uh, on black people, major thing. We talk mm -hmm. Medical apartheid, Harriet Washington, one mm -hmm. of my personal favorites, top five books. She okay. talks about that extensively uh, and in fact mm -hmm. I'd said because uh, this matches right I would wanted to get your thoughts on the recent developments uh, with the CRISPR technology this is the the new mm -hmm. gene editing uh, technology that they have been talking about and new books have been coming out uh, they had a report that was released last week this is from NPR where they were talking about using this CRISPR technology to uh, edit embryos and what they learned mm -hmm. from doing this and I'm just reading from the report it says <clears throat> This research is really the first time that genome editing has been used to study the function of a gene or the role of a gene in human embryos. Uh, and the results of the experiment were dramatic. Most of the embryos that had their gene inactivated failed to develop normally the genes called OCT4. So that tells us that OCT4 is really important. Important because a lot of women, pay attention, important because a lot of women who can't get pregnant or have miscarriages because they can't make healthy embryos. So this provides clues to how doctors could someday help them. That right there, huge highlight. Now they make no mention of race, but in my view, right. anytime that they begin talking about women that can't get pregnant or have miscarriages, mm -hmm. they are exclusively right, right. talking about white women. Do you, am right, I right. talking crazy, Dr. Ani? Not at all. Not at all. We know this to be absolute fact. And uh, I'm thinking about what research uh, publication this was of mine. I can't remember offhand. Uh, it might have, mm, I'm not sure. Um, but I've, I've definitely um, written about this and taught on this issue of, uh, oddly enough, no, it's not odd. Um, racism, white supremacy. We're talking about a, a collective of people who are presently talking about, and they actually use this terminology, colonizing space. You know, uh, this is 
getting to really the heart of, I like in, in the editor's um, introduction, in fact, to Vanguard, the journal that I recently released, um, you know, they're like parasites. Um, and so when we're having these conversations about fertility, about, um, oh, death rates and all of these conversations uh, across the, the spectrum of life, you might say, um, in the center of that for white people is the planet. And, and again, this goes back to them being very conscious of, there, there are some subconscious elements here at play, but they're also very aware and intentional in their activity because they put, they, they put too much money and research, you know, time behind it. Um, very often in the global warming conversations and, and talk about uh, the destruction of the planet, um, fertility comes up. In particular, a common recommendation is that, uh, or common, let's say, problem spots, they say are West Africa, Central Africa, Nigeria, Asia, Nigeria, Ghana, all of West Africa, right? Um, well, global warming would cease to exist. <laughs> I mean, it just I have to laugh because it, they only get away with it because apparently too few in my opinion, too few non-white people are paying attention, are reading, and are uh, clear on the fact that you cannot trust, you know, white-backed research, media, you can't. Uh, so, that, you know, they, they say, you know, global warming would stop if, you know, we would stop having so much children. Population control is the answer. There are too many people on the planet. Right. Um, and the places that have the most children or the highest fertility, West Africa, Central Africa, East Asia. Right. Um, so you contrast that uh, with the genome technology that's happening and uh, the colonizing of space. And this it, you, you see these common threads and it just it's on repeat of, you know, expand, destroy. Uh, you know, you know, colonize <laughs> and just, you know, repeat, uh, keep moving, keep moving, destroy whatever's there when you get there, you know, colonize it, stay for a while until you destroy it and go again. And, and now it's extending out to space, you know. Um, so this, what is it, CRISPR? Uh, it, it's, it's one in the long line of racist, white supremacists, again, weaponry. Uh, they started with race-based drugs, uh, another term for it is precision medicine, race-based drugs, uh, for, oh, about a, a, at least a, a decade as far as public, you know, awareness, publicly making it known. Uh, they've been targeting, you know, they've had, they've, they're in labs targeting uh, certain gene sequences. Um, and I have a lot of literature on this particular topic. Um, but they're targeting the sequences particularly of non-white people to investigate, to experiment on, to understand, and to, you know, fix any number of, as they call it, you know, uh, uh, healthy development, human growth and development issues that seem to be common across the lifespan in Europeans from Infancy on up to elderly age, dementia and Parkinson's, they have the highest rates. So this is, uh, 
again, it, it's a it's a very very uh, critical hour. What were we? I, I don't I don't remember. You're talking about CRISPR. Yes, ma'am. Just how they're they're using yeah. this specifically to address specific fertility needs of white women. Because uh, I, yeah. I think I was saying this past week, and I've never seen where they've offered this sort of uh, technology to black people. If anything, it's the exact mm-hmm. opposite. We need to stop right. them from having children. No more uh-huh. children for the anything that we can do to uh, force sterilizations right. or Depo-Provera or anything right. else uh, that we can dump on them. Right. No black babies. Uh, that generally has mm-hmm. been the policy. Uh, throughout the, in fact, I think Harriet Washington, she has a great line in Medical Apartheid, where she says uh, that when it was the plantation era slavery, then it was, let's have as many black babies as possible, because that'll be more money. Right. Uh, and then as soon as that right. ended, then it was, oh, well, let's try to have as few black babies right. as possible. <laughs> we don't want them right. around causing trouble right. or, you know, having to get in our way about right. things. Uh, I know you uh, are a mom, and in addition to being a scholar and working diligently uh, to solve the issue of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I want to remind folks, uh, you can check out some of her brilliant scholarship. We talked about some of it on the program this evening. Uh, to the mothers of white men, I should definitely put that on your reading list. If the folks at University of Albany were particularly upset about that piece, <laughs> then that should go to the front of the reading list. Uh, C-section and racism cutting to the heart of the issue for black women mm-hmm. and families. Very important literature uh, as well. Uh, she has a lot of other great uh, scholarship. Uh, you said Vanguard, the new journal that you helped launch. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's my second baby. Um, yes. My, my brainchild, spirit child, I, I thank so many and the editors note um, who are now some of which are ancestors and some who are still with us uh, waging on. Um, but that's all me, a founding editor, chief editor, and um, a, a small club <laughs> of uh, advisors and co-editors, um, associate editors. Vanguard, uh, the vanguardjournal.com. Uh, the first, uh, I know I should have sent this, maybe sent this to you sooner, but um, my students in particular have really, really enjoyed reading, oddly enough, uh, the editor's message, the introduction editor's message. Uh, but it's all online on the articles page, thevanguardjournal.com. Uh, Dr. Kevin Coakley at UT uh, Austin, University of Texas at Austin, wrote a prologue, which is really cool. Uh, I asked if he would do that, and he did. Um, to the issue, his baba, as he often says, is uh, Ancestor Hilliard, Asa Hilliard, um, the late great. Um, and so he speaks him up and uh, several others, and it's exciting because this is the first journal out of Black Studies dedicated to the confrontation of racism, white supremacy, uh, toward the protection um, of all Aboriginal people, that is non-white people, and the planet. The first journal uh, dedicated to confronting racism, white supremacy, and uh, helping to develop, awaken, uh, encourage uh, non-white people sorely needed. So I'm very excited. Um, the first issue is available. And, you know, I hope you all, if you have time to get to it, we'll do that and uh, offer me feedback and et cetera. I think there's some pieces in there you would really appreciate. Oh, some of our listeners have submitted pieces as well. How about that? Um, 
check out uh-huh. scenes of racial fetishism, fetishism the gay yeah. white male right. gaze. Uh, you can check that one out. And then uh, I also see to the mothers of white men that's uh, at the journal as well. Mm-hmm. So you can go there and check it out. I'll mm-hmm. put the uh, link, I'll post it on our Facebook page and Twitter so that folks can go there and check it out awesome. and stay informed. Uh, new reading material. Dr. Welsing, I think she would say again, reading is more important than watching television. So you'll have more material uh, to check out and read. But uh, we will definitely have you back on the program uh, to continue uh, with just letting us know what you're doing with the new journal, other projects that you're working on, and even uh, updates from uh, the UAlbany 3 uh, and what they're doing and progressing from all the trauma that they've been through. But thank you again for coming back and just sharing uh, your warmth uh, and tremendous amount of information and suggestions uh, with our listeners always really look forward uh, to having you on the program and we will definitely have you back again to continue to support your work. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you all. And let me say just real quickly, I don't know if you're like on a clock, but there is, there is an appeal happening appeals mm-hmm. actually. So there will be updates an appeal of the convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beginning literally this month, actually September, they just purchased the entire, apparently you have to purchase it. I thought it was free, but you have to purchase the trial transcript. And the families have, they, they had a GoFundMe and so forth, and they were able to raise enough money uh, to purchase that. Um, that's several thousands of dollars. So they have the transcripts and their lawyers are pour, yeah, pouring over them. Uh, Mr. Brewington, Fred, and Mark Mishler are working diligently, I'm sure as we speak probably, uh, reading over all the transcripts and fine-tooth combing and highlighting, underlining, asterisking, et cetera, uh, for their appeals. Uh, so they're going to be submitting those soon. And Ariel is also suing for um, overturning the university's expulsion. She wants that off of her record. I don't know yet. I haven't talked to her, her family, and a few, but I don't know if that means she wants to come back to you, Albany, but she's, she certainly wants that off of her record. Uh, perhaps so she can move on to other places without having to explain or have that blemish on her transcript. Um, and what else? I sent you a memo, sir. I emailed you uh, right around 8 o'clock a very important memo that I think you'll find very uh, intriguing uh, between UPD and the communications and marketing department here at UAlbany. Uh, why would communications and marketing be talking to UPD about a criminal investigation. Hmm. Let's think about it again. Back to image, money, protect this university, screw those students, do what you must do. In fact, we will help you craft, you know, a case against them. Mm. So I sent you that memo. I got, I got the go ahead from Fred to send that to you. Uh, and um, I sent you that. Um, and you can just see the level of, as, as they move into the appeal, I'm sure it's going to perhaps make an appearance anyway. So he said, go ahead, let it, you know, let it rip. Um, but you can see the level of research that they did on, you know, how, how much of an impact the, you know, young women's um, charges against these students, the white students, had affected, you know, uh, the university and how many people were paying attention, et cetera. So you have that memo, uh, and they're being very obviously concerned about the university's reputation and being pissed about the storyline that was being, uh, yeah. So you have that very uh, important, I think, we think. Um, and I think that was it. Yes, sir, about the, the appeals. I wanted to make sure I said that, though. And thank you all for your support and your warmth. 
uh, and appreciation, you know, um, for my work and what we must do. So I listen to you. I have a student I want to say, too. I'm very excited, a student who is of mixed race, who is an avid, I would say avid <laughs> listener at this point, of the tragic arrangements. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so happy about that because I was very concerned about her when she came into the department. Uh, you know, she, she literally said, I came in because I don't know anything about the black community, about black people, about my black self inside. And she is now <laughs> a cow's, you know, listener, and particularly that segment. And she's thinking about her mother and her own experiences. And yes, indeed. So I'm happy about that. I want to thank you. Oh, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. I'm, I'm glad. I hope it's been a constructive uh, resource. But wow, that is uh, wow. We racism, white supremacy, those tragic arrangements. They uh, every time. Yes, indeed. Thomas in New York, did you have a question? Quick question that you wanted to get in for uh, Dr. Ani before we let her enjoy the rest of her evening. It's uh, getting a little late on her. Um, yeah. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I was traveling. Um, my quick question for the guest, because I heard her speech about, um, you, you read her piece about white women, and um, um, does she ever weigh in account that um, they're the teachers? It's not really, you know, she, she kind of wrote it from the position like they have to take, um, um, you know, protest their, what their son's actions and husband's actions, but they're the ones who actually taught them, so they're the problem. And I'll mute my line. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mr. Renegade, Gus, do you want to handle that or should I respond? Uh, I think it was to you, uh, ma'am. Feel free. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Thank you for the question. Um, yes, I do. There are parts of uh, that particular article, in fact, that I also make sure to address that point, that they are uh, their people's, their nation's first teachers as, as uh, mothers, right? Our children are are the first to hear. They hear our voices, our heartbeats, our rhythms. They feed from our fluids. And uh, I, I speak about that very intimately in the piece. Uh, and, you know, I, I try to leave no stone unturned in terms of talking about from a biochemical uh, level as well, well as a uh, social level, um, the effect that white women have within the white family system. Um, on all fronts, uh, and you know, as, as co-builders, as I say, you know, your your position as all of ours is is to uh, learn to be a co-builder uh, with you know um, the men in your nation, right? Uh, and to be sisters to the women in your nation, et cetera, in raising a healthy, civilized white uh, community. And uh, so I, I don't. Um, we we spoke earlier. He said something about teaching. I think that's what he said. Not not as far as teaching in the schools, but teaching their their families. And that I definitely focus on that. I'm very pleased that uh, Gus is writing. And as I said earlier, I, I read that you sent me your article um, uh, in the Atlanta Black Star. Correct? Yes, ma'am. On yes, white hashtag white women do it better. Uh, I remember reading that, and um, I was very happy to see because I didn't pay as much uh, or give as much attention to um, the sociopolitical aspects of white women in terms of their influence uh, in in the nation, not just on white kids, but on our kids too. 
uh, again, in the nation's schools, hospitals, as nurses, uh, increasingly OBGYNs, I want to say that too, since you brought up the C-section article. Increasingly, white women have been very adamant, you know, about leveling the playing field, at least for themselves, uh, and being OBGYNs uh, alongside uh, white men. Um, so we now, you know, will be greeting more and more often, uh, depending on where you live and, and how you're moving, white women in doctor's offices once we're pregnant and are going in for our prenatal visits and so forth. Again, do your very best. It's not hard. It's pretty simple. Live right. Stay away from alcohol and cigarettes and drugs and, you know, marijuana included because it's not real anymore. <laughs> okay. Just stay away from it all. Eat whole organic foods. Be healthy. Uh, and your baby will develop. Try to keep your stress level down. Meditate. Stay away from, I, I just have to say it that way, stay away from, particularly in this hour, white people as much as possible uh, to try, you know, to avoid uh, tragedies and, you know, um, various offenses and assaults that we're more sensitive to when we're pregnant. You know, it's not that hard to, to be healthy and to lead yourself, guide yourself into a healthy, natural birth. Um, that's a, a passion of mine. So, um, but yes, yes, indeed. I, I hope maybe the caller, if the brother would look at the article, he could see more of what I wrote. Because, of course, you know, Mr. Renegade just, just read a snippet tonight. So, The title of the article again, C-Section and Racism, Cutting to the Heart of the Issue for Black. Oh, well, he actually was talking about uh, the article on white women to the mothers of white women uh, him talking about them right. being the teachers. And that is at uh, The Vanguard. I posted it on uh, our Facebook page, uh, thevanguardjournal.com. And if you go to the article section, yes. you can check it out, download it, share it, uh, do all of the above. Uh, thank you for your patience and insight, Dr. Ani. We will certainly keep an eye on the appeal, uh, your scholarship, and we will definitely be having you back on the program in the future. Uh, get excellent rest thank for you. yourself and take great care of yourself, your family. Uh, we will definitely be speaking with you soon. Thank you, sir. I will do my best. And you do the same. I, I guess I can email you offline to see how you're doing. You do the same. Will do. Thank you. you. She was another one, Dr. Ani, who was concerned when I was going through my back struggles and wisdom teeth and the whew, perils of the end of the summer of 2017. <laughs> but that is all history now, moving forward, being healthy. But thank you for the uh, for the concern, <laughs> comfy route. And uh, we will definitely be in yes. touch uh, down the road, Dr. Ani. Take great care and uh, have a great evening. Thank you, sir. You do the same. Yes, ma'am. Context of white supremacy. Uh, back with us again. She was on the program first time uh, right at the end of February, February this year, uh, 2017. Dr. Uh, Amani Shakti Ani, uh, first time around. And then to have her back this evening was grand. I know a lot of listeners really appreciated her when she was on the first time. And uh, I think she said it again tonight at the beginning of the program. Always a treat uh, to have a non-white person who is less confused and courageous enough to speak honestly uh, to the problem of racism, white supremacy. I think I said at the beginning of the program that I was going to get in a quick word uh, about the protests, NFL protests, and what Donald Trump had to say. A quick word before we wrap. Uh, This is just a very brief sound clip. And actually, it's not even the protests and what have you per se. Uh, It's really more in connection with the celebrations and what have you that have been going down because it's been uh, some of that has been a fist in the air and uh, a 
whole lot of other stuff as well. I think they changed the rule and now you can do all the celebrations uh, as well. That has stood out to me more than the actual protest. But I think I can get all of that in about three minutes uh, after I hit Mr. Fuller. Uh, this is from Mr. Fuller's third visit to the cows. This is from 2009 uh, when he was talking about the tendency for black football players to celebrate too soon. He was relating this to his concept of showoffism in the code book. But this is Neely Fuller Jr., his visit, his third visit uh, to the cows back in 2009. Really quick segment, and then I'll give a final word before we wrap things up. They're trying to solve the race problem. It takes a lot of time and energy and a lot of high-power thinking to do something constructive along those lines. But what we do is just trying to upstage each other, we try, which we what we try to do when we do everything. It's called showing off. It's one of the show-offisms, trying to show how much we know to each other. We're not sure, trying to show it to the rest of the world, because mm. they can see to it that we don't know much of anything. That's why we're in the shape we're in. But we love to show off to each other, which is why I say you never should see a black person celebrating anything. We're not qualified. Never. I don't care what it is. We have no cause for celebration. But you take even the football players. I mean, you know, the white people know it so much about us that they, you know, make restrictions on it about the football game, even though people say it's just a game and all like that. But they are saying, you know, that it sends even a deeper message. It goes to show you how primitive we are. Because the black guy, like I saw a black guy do that, a ball play, I forgot what team he's on. That was this year. I think I may have mentioned it to you before. I mentioned it to somebody. He's running down the field with his weaves and whatnot, I mean trailing behind him. You know. I mean, uh, struggling to be a man. Just so, you know, struggling to be recognized. That's what the weave's all about. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to me. That's what that is. Drop what you're doing and stop what you're doing and look over here and pay attention to me. So now when he's carrying a football down the field, and he was making it, he was outrunning everybody. Mm-hmm. And when he got near the end of the goal line, people were, he could see the People jumping up and down, the ladies in their skirts and whatnot, the pep squad and whatnot, the cheering squad, they jumping up and down. I mean, and, oh, he's grinning and running. And he ran into the end zone and ran out of the end zone, I mean, and jumped right into the crowd up there like we do. But he threw the ball down before he got in the end zone. And the people were screaming and yelling, I mean, you idiot and whatnot, and he's still running and grinning because he wasn't aware that he threw the ball down. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of black people's lives <laughs> in the modern day since they took the chains off. Too quick wow. to celebrate and haven't done nothing but dropped the ball. In fact, threw it down. <laughs> Concentrating on a celebration more than the accomplishment. And that's the story of our lives. Wow. Now, I saw that. I had given a description of that type of thing long before it happened, but this year it happened. 
I said, black people, we're the cheeringest people, we're the paradingest people. We want to take up the entire sidewalk so that everybody will see us more than anybody on earth not to be doing nothing that warrants any attention at all. And we need to look at ourselves and say, hey, no more of this. Let the white people cheer. They got something to cheer about. We ain't cheering about nothing. We're in a pitiful state. In fact, we haven't even gotten started. We're not even at the start in the line, not to say nothing about it. We're not even in the stadium. <laughs> Context of white supremacy. I think I can do this in three minutes. This is connected to the anthem protests and Donald Trump. The Everything that I saw in terms of reports and highlights that I saw from the past 24 hours and the big to-do about football, again, racists are very good at directing our attention, getting us to pay attention to uh, what they say is important and why. What I saw that stood out to me more than anything else uh, over the past 24 hours and with yesterday's football action, they changed the rule about celebrations. It used to be uh, they, they would call the NFL the no fun league. We're not going to have any more of, you know, people acting a fool. They score a touchdown and jumping and doing all the gyrating and everything. Uh, we're going to flag that. Not going to have that at all. Spike the ball and go sit down. Now they changed it this year. Now you can act a fool and, and do all this stuff. I get, They said, I did hear, they give the referee discretion <laughs> if they think it has gone overboard or is something disrespectful. Anyway. I didn't know that this had happened uh, until yesterday with all the thing that, oh, yes, and they changed this rule. So one player, black guy, is running down, about to score a touchdown. He commences his celebration at about the 20-yard line and gets hit. <laughs> the guy, the defender keeps running. He gets hit at the goal line, almost fumbles. Happened again. This is all yesterday. Happened again. Another black player. Uh, he threw exactly what Mr. Fuller said, and that was from 2009 threw it down before he crossed the goal line so ready to celebrate and it was a fumble it messed up the whole halftime because they had to take like 30 minutes to review and figure out who recovered and all this it was just a huge disgrace his team lost the points uh and then odell beckham jr one of the most popular nfl players uh that they have black male he has blonde highlights in his hair odell beckham jr scores a touchdown and pretends to be a dog. He gets on all fours and pretends to urinate as a dog. Welsing moment. The added, they go to interview him after the game. And he said, and they gave him a flag, 15-yard penalty for urinating like a dog. After the game, they talked to him about it, asked him, why would you do such a thing? Why would you imitate a dog urinating? And he says, because I'm a dog black self-respect has been annihilated. Dr. Welsing, I think, said that a, a number of times. Mr. Beckham, great player. He scored a second touchdown. The next time, he didn't urinate like a dog. The next time, he gave the black power salute. At that point, I said, I'm done with all of this. I was never, uh, uh, <laughs> I 
I was never intoxicated, infatuated, swept up in all the Colin Kaepernick hysteria last year. I've seen people sit for the national anthem before. I've done it myself. Jackie Robinson said that he didn't uh, participate in the national anthem, and he was a World War II veteran. He put it in his autobiography. It was not shocking to me. It was not new. Right on. I didn't have beef with him. I don't have beef with him now, but it just wasn't something that captivated me, Uh, and particularly with everything that happened this weekend. There is a difference between working against racism, white supremacy, and just you want to do something because you're upset about President Trump. Uh, I've said whites have authorized. You can say anything you want about Trump. You can complain. As long as it's directed at him, fine. That is very different than I have a problem with racism, white supremacy, and that's what I'm addressing. Uh, All of this is folly. The thing that I've enjoyed most about this is what President Trump had to say, and I wish they would put the celebration rule back in effect. And I really thought about that because I cannot think of one single time where a white person in a football game, NFL or college, has broken out into some premature celebration Throwing the ball that I cannot think of one time where a white person did that. I can think of a whole bunch of times where a black person, college and NFL, did that. I started celebrating way too soon and ended up fumbling the ball and messing up everything. And that exactly should apply to racism, white supremacy. We are not celebrating progress. That is cheering too soon. We celebrate when racism, white supremacy has been replaced with justice. No celebrating until then. I think that was close to three minutes. We'll be here for Thursday, Workplace Racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, If you have suggestions, gripes, uh, complaints, if you have a question, if you can't find something in the archives, drop us an email, untiljustice at gmail.com, untiljustice at gmail.com. I hope it's been a constructive investment of your Monday evening. Uh, tuning into the program, always great to hear from Dr. Ani. I would say, man, she beat me to it. Dr. Ani, I think she said one thing you want to do to stay healthy, especially if you're looking at having offspring, sobriety would be best. And I think she threw cannabis in there too. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. They toxify and poison everything. There's no need to add any additional uh, toxins to our bodies would be best preserve our brain computer so that we can think clearly make great decisions keep ourselves safe and come up with concepts solutions to the problem white people racist man racist woman racist child with that creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.